Greetings. I'm afraid Lack the Watcher is not currently in command of this body right now. Instead, I am. Icky Thump. But if he were here, I'm sure he'd wish to give you a warning that the Dub Talk podcast may contain language and otherwise adult content that may not be suitable for younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Also, he would probably say that it is imperative that you know that this episode may contain spoilers for the Boogie Pop and Others anime. It would perhaps be wise for you to go and watch the anime itself before you come and listen to the opinions of the Dub Talk crew. Finally, I'm sure he would want you to know that the opinions expressed are those of the individual participants and may not reflect the Dub Talk podcast as a whole, including which of my opinion, which is not available in this episode. Either way, I suppose he would want you to enjoy this. Welcome to Dub Talk, the podcast where we discuss the latest and greatest in English dubs. My name is Stephanie, and I'm joined tonight by Jet, Lack, and Amon. Hello. Hello. Y'all are so quiet. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm sorry, I don't have anything witty right now. Like, I was Nobody's really... witty today? Yeah, so... I wanted to reference something, but I was like, I can't remember. Uh, <laughs> I'm, so, uh, I'm sorry, I don't have any appropriate tuny puns for this, so... God damn it. <laughs> My head, it's burning. Look out, it's a giant imaginary, like, kaiju. That's all I got. Zuragi! <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Zuragi! Um, oh, Lord. So with this cast of fools, you kn- just know something spooky is on the horizon. And what may that be? Well, get your capes and fishing line ready. We're going to be discussing the English dub of the Winter 2019 series, Boogie Pop and Others, produced by Studio Madhouse and based on the Boogie Pop light novel series. Uh, This series was actually created as the 20th anniversary of the original novel's release, and it's actually not the first time Boogie Pop's story has been told. As there's another anime series from Madhouse that was produced in 2000, Boogie Pop Phantom, as well as a live-action film in 2005. Uh, But if you're curious to know what this 2019 adaptation is all about, here's a quick little summary. There's an urban legend that children tell one another about a reaper that can release people from the pain they may be suffering. This angel of death has a name, Boogie Pop. And the legends are true. Boogie Pop is real. When a rash of disappearances involving female students breaks out of Shinyo Academy, the police and faculty assume they are just a bunch of runaways on their hands. But Nagi Kirima knows better. Something mysterious and foul is afoot. She's gone Sherlock Holmes, apparently. Anyway, tonight we're going to be covering the major players of the show, discussing performances and our thoughts on the dub along the way. We are not covering everyone. Um, it's like, um, yeah, yeah, definitely not too many characters. Also, I <laughs> also I kind of missed a chance to make the quick joke during Seth's little synopsis. But basically, uh-huh. if you ever find yourself wondering... How did two beers become a thing in anime? This show was probably responsible. God damn it! <laughs> or I guess the original novel should be being technical, but you know. <laughs> True. Except split personality disorder is also thrown in here for shits and giggles. Uh, but more on that later. <laughs> anyway, um, are we ready to get this show on the road? Uh, I thought something witty to say too late. Damn it. Oh well. <laughs> 
I mean, did you want to say it now? Uh, what is it? Uh, Boogie, Pop, Boogie Pop and Others, the favorite anime series of anyone who has ever owned or listened to OK Computer. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was trying to think of smart out. I was trying to think of smart alky music references for the end of the episode, and it's like, man, this is so 1996. This is so clearly written by somebody who likes Radiohead and Smashing Pumpkins. I know. Is this not the most early 2000s anime ever? Honestly. No. Who, who? Okay. I. 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 Quick question. Have any of you seen the original Boogie Pop Phantom? No, I haven't. I have seen like the first three episodes. I think. I like watched a bunch of it on Tech TV back in the day, but I don't remember it very well. Other than I had trouble understanding what was going on because I was like twelve at the time, and not <laughs> not really watched enough things to understand something that's abstract yet. About to say you're calling Boogie Pop and others like '90s things. Go watch Boogie Pop <laughs> Phantom. <laughs> is it is it is it is it two thousand with a bullet? It kind of is, yes. Oh man, because it has like it has like the vignette style and the sepia tones. It's like what the fuck is this? What happened was even more confusing. A bunch of Japanese kids saw the Matrix and were like, they wanted to like basically. It's like, hey, hey, we can do that. You are not wrong. (laughs) Anyway, we got to get our show on the road. We got too many characters. We are not covering every single one of them. Um, But basically, we're going to try and cover some of the major characters. uh, Because Boogie Pop and others is actually divided into four story arcs, uh, adapting four of the light novels. Uh, So we're going to be covering majority of as many of the major characters from those individual stories as humanly possible. But we do have to start off with who was the madman directing it and who was the madman writing it. So we're going to do ADR director, assistant ADR director, and our script writers. We have two. Uh, So we have something slightly spooky, something slightly psychological. Who are we going to get to direct this? Because oh, he's directing. Mm. Oh, like, oh, wow, I can't believe Zach Bolton's directing anime again. <laughs> God, I wish. <laughs> God, I wish. I miss Zach Bolton. He's a good director. Uh, anyway, but no, we actually have, for our ADR director, we have Mike McFarland, our assistant director, or basically you could say our lead director for episodes 10 through 13 specifically, uh, which is the Boogie Pop at Dawn story arc. We have Felicia Angel. Our script writers, the script writer for the majority of the series is Clayton Browning. And for working with Felicia on Boogie Pop at Dawn's story arc, we have Matt Shipman. Uh, Mike McFarland, you have probably heard his directing work for series such as Attack on Titan, Grimgar, Ashes, and Illusions, and Noragami. For Felicia Angeal, you've probably seen her assistant directive work with series such as Blood Blockade Battlefront, Zombieland Saga, and that time I got reincarnated as a slime. For Clayton Browning, you've seen his script work through series such as Hanabato, SSS as Grin Man, and Con Cole. And as for Matt Shipman and his script writing work, you have probably seen him write for shows such as New Game, The Morose Mononoke in Season 2, and Ace Attorney Season 2. Uh, we're just gonna just kind of go off the rails and just pick people. I'm gonna go with Jet. How do you, can you kind of just start giving us your thoughts on the directing and writing of the show? Oh, sure. Um... So, uh, Mike McFarland is one of my favorite dub directors, and while he's been largely stuck at Attack on Titan in Tokyo Ghoul Jail for the last, like, four or five years, 
for forever. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's nice that everybody gets to break away from the big franchise and they do something, you know, a little more low-key, but, you know, also isn't an isekai. So, uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, this is an ensemble show with a crazy, crazy amount of characters. And Mike had to juggle around a lot of different actors to make this work, and he had to give each of them their own very distinctive tone. And thankfully, like with his work on Cheeky, uh, Mike manages to pull this off really well. There's a lot of really solid and interesting casting choices in here, and everyone sounds pretty distinct from each other. I especially appreciate that there's a pretty noticeable difference between how, like, the normal human characters sound and how the more abnormal or outright inhuman ones sound. Uh, since it really helps to set the abnormal ones apart as the mysterious forces they're kind of supposed to be. Um, some actors in the ensemble sound a little better than others, and there were a couple here that I wasn't, like, super fond of. But on the whole, I thought uh, Mike and Felicia did a pretty solid job at the directing front, and I was pretty happy with this. Uh, Script-wise, I don't have a whole ton to say, since this was uh, pretty much a one-for-one -one translation of the Japanese script, which, I guess, depending on your point, to view on this show's pros could be a good or a bad thing. I mean, I guess it might seem a little odd to have, you know, all the teen characters speaking in said pros since, you know, normal teens don't really talk that way, but almost none of these characters are really meant to be normal, and they are very much the kind of self-indulgent teenagers and adults who would absolutely talk this way, <laughs> uh, so, it, uh, so it definitely worked for me. Uh, even beyond that, though, uh, the show in general is kind of doing with a lot of, you know, very abstract concepts, and it's obviously a little bit of a puzzle box mystery, so any major deviations probably would have came back to harm the dub, so I'm glad they made the safe call here. Uh, but uh, yeah, on the whole, uh, direction and script get a big thumbs up for me. Yeah, I it's it's kind of funny that you brought up the script, because um, we were jo I know we were joking about this being like a 90s kind of sounding thing, but, <laughs> like, legit, this, the night novels were written that, like, late 90s, early 2000s, so it, it, it kind of makes sense that they went one-for-one one kind of translation here, because in all honesty, if they were, they were trying to do something else, they would, it would not land very well. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, the show itself tried to modernize itself a little bit, I mean, the characters have cell right. phones, but... Cell phones, we have a huge decked-out high-tech computer that's in the moon temple, apparently. <laughs> Stairway to heaven, everyone. Uh, <laughs> uh, Lack, do you have anything to add? Not much, honestly. Um, admittedly, I, I made this kind of clear on first viewing that I did kind of feel like uh, some of the dialogue, just the way that the teens talked kind of felt weird, just because they all talked like adults. And there was kind of that element of, uh, some of this can feel a little disingenuous. But at the same time, it's like, I get it. I, I get exactly what this series is trying to do. And the there's nothing that the staff did that really bothered me in their decisions or anything like that. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to say anything about bad about Mike McFarlane. He, he, or, or even Felicia and Joe. They, they both, like, have so much experience that... You know, they know exactly what they're doing. And, you know, for for my complaints about some of the weird dialogue, like, the fact that Clean Browning and Matt Shipman were able to pull this off at all is, like, impressive on its own feet. So, um, I still stand by my feelings that some of it felt kind of weird and, and clunky, 
But at the same time, I respect how much effort they really tried to put in. So. Yeah, because I think out of the four of us, I know you were probably the most vocal because you've because you've never seen Boogie Pop Phantom, so you were basically kind of t tossed in here, and you're like, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> <laughs> as as the series I, I progressed, mean, I kind of got it, but yeah, I mean, it took I a mean, little bit. I mean, don't feel too bad. I mean, I did see a few episodes of Boogie Pop Phantom, but I didn't understand anything that was going on in that show. This was see, much easier for me. <laughs> see, and I, t and, I, and I told you this in our DM chat the other day, and I'm going to say it again now for the record. Uh, if, you, cause if you got thrown off a little bit with Boogie Pop and others here, like, Boogie Pop Phantom story-wise is a little bit worse, and it's even more episodic than this. <laughs> like, it doesn't... It doesn't contain its story very well, unfortunately. That's one of the flaws with the original series. Um, and dear sweet baby Jesus. Like, the, the the writing and the directing of the dub is has not aged all that well. I won't lie. You know, um, <laughs> side note, this really doesn't have anything to do with the dub, but I did find this interesting, that there was kind of a controversy with the character designs for this one. Oh, yeah. Apparently, no one had informed the guy who did the character designs for the books. Because if you buy the light novels, they're like illustrations. No one had mm -hmm. told him they weren't going to use his designs for the new anime, apparently. Oh, I he found out. He found out when like the show got announced, and he was kind of angry about it. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, know. if you look, if you look at the anime, if you look at and others' design versus like the light novels' design, they look almost nothing alike, aside from like clothing. Yeah. No. It's so. it's 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 it 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 is. They changed it to a design that's much more modern, and to be honest, probably would look a little better animated. Uh, but it is strikingly different. And my understanding is like it yeah. did get smoothed out eventually. But yeah, that was that was a thing for a bit. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. the The original character designs are also kind of clunky, though. They're 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 also very late nineties. They are very late nineties. Very late nineties. Very very late nineties. Oh, sweet baby Jesus. Yeah. Boogie Pop Phantom Boys and Girl, a very late nineties show. <laughs> anyway, Amon, do you have anything to add about directing and writing? I, I, feel, I feel like we kind of covered the bases. Like, I think the directing is here is very strong. Uh, I think Mike and Felicia are both challenged. This is a very like. This is a show that, like, wears the fact that it's an adaptation of a book on its sleeve. It feels mm. very literary and complicated, and there's a lot of inner thought to everything. And I think they did, like, a really good job uh, translating that into voice acting and direction. Like, I was, you know, this is not something that ever felt like it got bogged down in, like, dialogue or narration or anything like that. I thought it was very well strong. Mm -hmm. It was very well cast. Um, and, and, like, also credit to the writing for taking that same thing and not trying to... Not trying to, like, smooth it out, because I feel like part of Boogie Pop's appeal is kind of that it's very, like, pretentious and artsy. Obtuse. and Yeah, but look, look, speaking speaking as a teenager who owned prog rock albums when he was 13, like, I get it. <laughs> like, if these books were available in English, I totally would have read them in high school. Like, straight up, not going to front here. I yeah, the audience. I probably like, would have too, like, As someone who's probably the audience for these things, I feel like... Uh, that's like a key component to kind of like it's that the tune, the mode and tone for this show, and I think they did mm -hmm. a good job of translating that into English. Uh, okay. Yeah. This this is one of these ones where it felt like they did a very complicated job very well to the point where you don't think about complicated it probably is when you're watching it. You can just like, oh yeah, it's good. This is yeah. Good. It's it's very true because Boogie Pop as a as a franchise in general is very weird. <laughs> 
Like in case you haven't noticed, and you're and to to the to the audience out there, you're gonna notice very quickly this show is very weird. Yeah, um, like I, I tried to look at the Wikipedia page and I couldn't get a clear answer exactly. No, what it's was. not that clear. <laughs> show, it's not. It's really this show not. Trudies, you say. <laughs> I had an easier time understanding what Divine Gate was than Boogie Pop. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the worst part. Oh no! <laughs> Wait, hold on. Wait, we're the Divine Gate crew, aren't we? Yes, we yeah, are. Yeah. Oh wow! <laughs> it's a goddamn reunion, everybody. Holy hell! Anyway, <laughs> it's party of disappointment. Yeah. Oh, anyway. Although this is a much better series than Divine Gate. This is a much better series. <laughs> much better series. As much as I didn't really confusing. like it, I will admit it's much better made than Divine Gate was. So yes, for sure. Um, yeah, I would definitely say the dub itself is on the directing and the writing front is really solid. Um, I do. I also really want to give kudos to um, Clayton and Matt though, because um, like you guys have been saying, um, this show is like. It's it's it, you can't really take liberties with it <laughs> on the writing front because uh, it's a very '90s kind of show, language-wise and style-wise, and the supernatural psychological elements of it uh, don't really help in that matter. So, what Clayton and Matt were able to do with the show, writing-wise, I really do enjoy it. Um, Directing-wise, it's also very solid. Everybody seems. Everybody fit their roles rather well. I only have one minor complaint um, regarding our lead, but that's gonna ha- gonna come up uh, later on. Uh, it's not a bad thing though. Uh, it got fixed maybe like after episode one, basically. Um, but yeah, everything it's very it's very solid. A strong cast and everything. Just minor flaws performance wise here or there, but I think it's very very strong i mean mike mcfarland is known to give very very strong efforts uh so it's you can never say a bad thing about him <laughs> really um all right so we're, we're i think we're good to move on to our first set of characters so like i was saying before how we're going to be covering this because there's a lot of goddamn characters we're going to take the four main story the four stories that are in the show um Make sure I get the names correctly. Uh, Boogie Pop and others versus Imaginator, Boogie Pop at Dawn, and Overdrive, the King of Distortion. Uh, we're going to be separating them into their own sections and covering the major characters of those groups. And then later on, we're going to be covering some of the very, very re- much more recurring characters and our two main characters of um, Boogie Pop and Nagi Kirima at the end. So we're going to start going by going from the end of the show and moving backwards. We're going to start with... The story, Overdrive, the King of Distortion. Uh, This story is essentially uh, this man named uh, Taratsky names. This is going to be a night where Stephanie butchers names, boys and girls. Um, Taratsky, he has passed away. He had this huge thing called the Moon Temple created. um, And on its grand opening day, uh, people are visiting, but then something very, very strange happens. The place locks down while people are inside, and they start seeing very weird... They start, they fall asleep through this loud 
Led Zeppelin type music. <laughs> and um, they start having these dreams. And they every single person having these dreams meets their king of distortion. Um, which is the main antagonist, so to speak, for this arc. So the four major characters we're going to be covering in this arc specifically. We're going to be covering Taratsuki. We're going to be covering Kentaro Habara. Wow. He's one of the individuals stuck in the moon temple. And he also seems to be a computer genius. We have... Makoto Hashi, Hashizaka, who is a little boy who gets stuck in the moon temple. And uh, his, his distortion is this the huge kaiju thing that Lak so lovingly mentioned earlier. Um, <laughs> and we have Sakiko Michimoto. Uh, she is another individual stuck in the uh, moon temple as well. And her distortion, her side story, her distortion involves uh, the death of her childhood friend. So the four individuals we're going to be talking about who are in these, who is in this arc specifically. As Taratsuki, we have Christopher Wakecamp, uh, who you have probably seen and heard him in series, like uh, as Lieutenant Sakuma from Joker Game, Susumu Kodai from Star Blazer, Space Battleship Yamato 2199 and 2202, and Hizamaru from Zoku Token Rambu Hanamaru. As Kentaro, we have Eric Vale, who has been in series... And played characters such as Phoenix Wright in the Ace Attorney anime series, Yuki Sama from both versions of Fruits Basket, and Izana Listeria from Snow White with the Red Hair. As Makoto, we have Allison Victorin, who has voiced characters such as Naru from Barakamon, Conan Edegawa from the Case Closed franchise, and QT from Space Dandy. And here's actually a kind of surprising twist. So as Sakiko Michimoto, we have Christina Kelly who has been in series and has voiced many characters, but more on the Houston front. So she has been mine from Akame Ga Kill, Claudine Saijo from Review Starlight, and Hajime from Hamatora. Uh, Lack, could you kick us off with your thoughts on these performances? Okay, well, first things first, I was really confused because I thought uh, Teratsuki was voiced by Eric Vale, too. Nope. That's no, Christopher no, Wakeham. No, 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 it's Wakeham. Okay. Eric well, Vale's the dude with the hair. <laughs> no, no, no. I knew that. That's why I was confused. <laughs> oh, you thought he played both? Yeah, I thought it was like a, a like a, a time jump kind of thing. No, no, no. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> I, I, I was like, oh, so Habara is like he's like in three different time. He's like three different versions of himself in like the tower or something like nope. that. That's what I took away from what I was. Oh no, no. is his own thing, like. Okay, uh, I mean, like, I know we're not gonna, I don't want to, you know, go into the other arcs too much until we get to them, but I did notice Rotsky was actually, like, briefly mentioned in Boogie Pop at Dawn, and then he showed up here. Yeah, he's he's brought up in Boogie Pop at Dawn, um, but yeah, he kind of becomes a central character. Um, first of all, you're making this story more complicated than it actually is. I know, is. apparently I don't think it's I that am. smart. <laughs> it's not that smart. Um, but, yeah, a, a big thing that kind of pops up a few times in the show in general, and it pops up in this arc, too, is um, this organization of some sorts called the Toa Group, who I don't know what the fuck they're doing. <laughs> they do uh, a lot of things. Yeah, we never even see the Toa Group. Yeah, it's something, something human evolution. Pretty much, yes. And their Toa Group is going to be... muckety boogeymen. <laughs> pretty much. And the Toa group is pretty much going to be popping up at least at somewhere along the lines in each of these arcs. Um, in this case, um, they basically, I believe if I remember correctly, Taratsuki um, worked with them on several projects. And then um, 
basically, it sounds like he was murdered. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, basically He's kind of he murdered. Yeah, I think it's like he was a synthetic human they made to, like, I guess, infiltrate businesses and stuff. But yes. he got too powerful, so yep. he got the boot. Yep. So, so Blade Runner. Blade Runner, <laughs> and we're not, and we're gonna go back to Blade Runner soon again soon. Anyway, uh, but Black, can, yeah, Black, Black, continue though, okay? Okay. Well, regarding Teratsuki and uh, Habara, they both gave really good performances. I think they were well cast. Um, I think they fit their roles really well. Um, Eric Vale is great in these kind of roles. These are kind of the roles he thrives in. Um, uh, and in spite of my confusion of who was playing uh, Teratsuki, Christopher Weckham did a great job. Um, he had a, you know, he was interesting. You know, like his his almost monotone kind of performance was actually really interesting for the role. Uh, I actually really liked uh, Allison Victorin as uh, as Hashizaka, just because I like the energy she brought to the character. I like that, you know, she played him kind of as a brat, but he wasn't too insufferable to the. You know, there, there was, there was like, he felt like an actual kid, and I appreciated that. Um, I gotta remember, I, I, I gotta admit, I don't remember who Sakiko is. She, uh, she, uh, she was the girl who was grieving over her. Oh, yeah, 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 okay, yeah, yeah. Um, no, she, she was good. Um, we don't really see much of her, in, like, except at the beginning, at the end, as far as I remember, right? Am I, am I it's wrong? kind of sporadic. We see her in the beginning. We have her her one. There's one episode that has a good good amount of time spent with her, um, in her distortion, uh, with the King Distortion and her um her friend uh, what was it? Hina, Hana. Okay, honestly, I don't remember. Obviously, I don't remember the friend. I don't remember the girl's name, but she was voiced by um Leah Clark, actually, I believe. Um, Hinako. Hinako, I believe. Hinako, yes, Hina. Um, but yeah, and then we have her kind of towards the end, and she also kind of does a goof and locks yeah. fucking Kentaro oh, yeah. and uh, one of our other characters in the, that we'll get to later, um, in the fucking mannequin room. Because <laughs> she's just like, I want to go back to sleep. I gotta go back. Because because what tower doesn't have a weird mannequin basement? Because reasons. That's how. What your well, tower yeah, well, doesn't well, have a mannequin basement? Well, well usually the reasons is because whoever built it's a serial killer. But oddly enough, that is not the case here. But yeah, it's still just dies. as weird. But I thought all the performances were really strong. Um, I honestly think this cast had mo more personality than most of the other casts. Of really? The... Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how you guys feel about that, but I, I would say that these characters, in spite of me forgetting one of them, but when I saw her, I was like, oh yeah, her. I do think this was one of the more memorable casts of the okay. crew, and I think the performances helped that a little bit. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what I'll say on it. I kind of actually, now you say that, I have to agree with you a little bit. It seems, in terms of, like, energy, this cast is one of the more lively ones. Uh, because... I think probably because ironic because all of them were mostly asleep. Yeah, I think I think it, I think yeah I think it makes sense because out of all the various themes of the arts, this was was the most like directly emotional, I guess. So. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and I mean, like, there's a couple other, like, there's another arc that we're gonna discuss shortly that, like, at least two out of three characters we're gonna talk about are also synthetic humans, and then we have. 
a lot of the characters in this show are like stoic, emotionless kind of like. Yeah, I was I was thinking. I think I think this one might benefit from the fact that it's of the of the four storylines. It's the well, it's not set at school, so right. it's not about the fewer dour teenagers in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you just you kind of get. To, I feel like you get the most just kind of like character variety in terms of personality anyways, and yeah. I think that then also shines through in the performances in the dub. Yeah, and it, I think it also benefited because um, there are uh, there's at least three characters um, that, re- that, occur, that recur um, throughout the show that actually do come up again in this story arc, and they actually have a lot more energy and life to them in this arc compared to when we first get introduced them to, actually. Mm. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um... Anybody else want to add in anything? Like, any other points? No, oh, uh, yeah, I didn't really have notes for anyone except for uh, Christina Kelly as, as uh, Sakigo, actually. Okay. But, um, I really enjoyed her. Um, it's been a little while since the last time I heard Christina Kelly. I mean, I mostly just remember her as mine in a comic got killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've enjoyed her in a lot of the stuff I heard her in, and I thought uh, she did a really solid job here. I mean, uh, while a lot of the characters in the King of the Sorcerer arc are kind of carried around a lot of uh, personal baggage, since, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of the theme of the arc, I guess. Yes. Uh, I felt that Sakiko's character kind of best exemplified that, since, you know, uh, she's carrying around the guilt of having hurt her f- closest friend and, you know, never being able to mend things with her before she passed away. And uh, while I can't say I really to that specific regret, I have felt what it's like to, you know, lose a chance to give a proper goodbye to someone before they pass away, so I kind of sympathize with her a little bit. And uh, I thought Christina did a really good job of portraying that mix of emotions. And uh, well, you know, she plays Sakiko as being maybe a little aloof during her, introdu- her introduction, I bet. Uh, it, it doesn't take too long to see just how much of a mess she is underneath, and uh, Christina really sold me on her confession to the King of the Sorts and on how much she really feels like she doesn't deserve to live while her friend didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the thing that really got to me was uh, when Boogie Pop eventually stepped in and um, told her a sentiment that I frankly don't think I've really ever seen expressed in anime that much or really at all, which is um, okay. Uh, which is basically that the way we choose to remember people close to us either up serves as a reflection of our own personality. So uh, if you think oh yeah, she does that, say that. She did yeah. say that. Yeah. So essentially, if you think of someone as being kind in a way, it kind of shows your own kindness and. It's something I never really taken the time to think about before, and it's probably something I could have used growing up, so, uh... It was definitely a very interesting message, and, uh, definitely not something I was expecting to get from a show this shooty, so, uh... That bit really stuck with me, and... Christina's performance to that message... I mean, Christina's performance and how she reacted to that message, uh... Definitely did a lot to help with that, so out of this section, I'd say Christina was probably my personal favorite. Yeah, she definitely put a lot of emotion and energy into Sakiko. Um, what's also very interesting, and I actually want to go back to Tadatsuki for a second here in Wake Camp. The he, we know he's a synthetic human, and he's very stoic and emotionless, and yet he's still able to put some amount of life into that character. Like, y- you guys noticed that too, right? Oh no, definitely. Like yeah, like, uh, uh, yeah, and like uh, yeah, I didn't have like notes on it, but I did like his scene with uh, Makoto's mother. I don't remember who was playing her, but I really liked their interactions. I thought that was really neat. Oh sweet lord, who was Makoto's mother? Um, now nah, I gotta remember that. Hold on, keep talking. I'll figure it out. 
Uh, but uh, but uh, yeah, I really like that. Uh, yeah, I really like that whole exchange. Um, yeah, that was another one. You know, like past regrets regarding like what could have been. I thought that whole dynamic was really interesting in the way he kind of bounced off of her. Oh, what was the mom's name? Shizuka. Shizuka. Ah, Shizuka Hashizaka is Tabitha Ray. There we go. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I didn't even realize that actually now that I read them. I'm like, wait, hold on. <laughs> the fuck? That's not Tabitha Ray. Hold on a sec. <laughs> Damn, okay. I, that's unrecognizable then. Holy shit. I feel like this is a show where a lot of people cast got to kind of stretch their range a little bit and voice characters they don't usually. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I, if, if you had not told me that that was Christopher Waycamp, I probably would not have guessed it because that's not a character I'm used to hearing him play. Uh, but he's great at it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then Allison Victor ends a little, little adorable shit. <laughs> <laughs> Zaragi! Oh, now he just wants to meet his dad, which he thinks is a giant monster for some reason. That flashback scene where he's drawing the monster and the TVs are <laughs> overlooking, like, oh. It's like, oh. <laughs> it's like an oh shit moment. It's like, oh no. Um, oh god. Anything else to add for this section, you guys think? Or? Uh, try to think. Um, nah, nah, I pretty much said everything I was going to say, honestly. Yeah. I, I, mean, like, I, I mean, like, I liked Eric Bale's character a lot. I thought he was, like, the most down-to-earth of the very cutie yeah. characters in this show. Yeah. Like, that's, uh, that's, like, I mean, like, he's, I mean, like, he's very clearly full of himself, and he at least, like, kind of takes things at face value pretty well, so. Look, his ass got busted so hard by Nagi Kirima <laughs> when he was <laughs> hacking the mainframe. Because <laughs> the, in one of the, in the, um, in his distortion world, actually, we find out that he has like this is computer program that he found and that was modified to basically like hack into businesses and shit and essentially there's one that he tries to hack into and he ends up almost like getting caught in the system and it happened to be nagi kirima actually just sending him a warning like don't do this you're an idiot yeah. <laughs> yeah, in her nagi kirima way <laughs> yeah i appreciate that his whole deal was that he like Nagi, but doesn't feel like saying anything. Yeah, and that he was pretty cool with it because, like, let's face it, there is no one on this planet cool <laughs> enough to date Nagi Kirima. So. Nagi Kirima's too cool for you. It's fine. It's fine. Satome knows that very, very well. <laughs> oh, Satome. Uh, anyway, uh, anything else to add, or do we want to move on to the next story? Uh, these performances are great. Yeah. <laughs> Woohoo! Alright, let's move on to the next storyline then, and I think this one's probably, at least by the sounds of it, when we were all just chatting in the in our DM chat, um, probably our favorite story. Yeah. Um, actually, mine was the distortion arc, but this is a definitely a close second. Yeah, this, oh. this, is, this is my favorite, probably. And I think Lack's too. I think this is also the story where Lack finally kind of understood... <laughs> Yeah. What this show was. Well, everything everything was much clearly like play, like thrown out in this yeah. one. Like and it treated it treated Boogie Pop it kinda made it feel like, you know, you don't really have to understand what Boogie Pop is. Right. You know? 
Yeah, if anything, this next storyline um, called Boogie Pop at Dawn, uh, essentially in its own way, chronologically speaking, this would be the first story, basically. Yeah. Um, essentially, it tells a lot more backstory for Nagi Kirima as well as Tokami Ashita, uh, a.k.a. Boogie Pop. Because uh, a good chunk of it, Nagi Kirima, her father, ends up getting assassinated by the synthetic human. She ends up um, later on getting a very, a very disease, big disease where she just gets in fits of pain. Um, she's given this miracle cure of some sort that basically like helps evolve her body and then this just weird there's also this weird crazy doctor lady <laughs> who who happens to find the vial of the miracle cure that was given to Nagi by this assassin by the way uh but named Mo Murder by the way <laughs> <laughs> We're back to JoJo's again. Um, <laughs> and she and the doctor, she basically starts doing all these experiments originally on these mice, trying to see what kind of evolution that could happen. And then she eventually starts hunting down and murdering women. And going yeah, like, yeah. I, think, I think they said her whole deal specifically is that like, okay, is that she wants to know the true meaning of fear or something yes. along those lines? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yep. Basically, and then basically Nagi's does this investigation with Mo Murder, not knowing she he's an assassin, or maybe she does. I don't know. It's not really made clear. Um, into the disappearances of these women and the murders murders of these women, and then uh, we actually do. While the story more centers on Nagi Kirima, uh, we do get bits of an origin story as well for Boogie Pop. Uh, but this is more centered around Nagi Kirima. Um, the, there's going to be three characters we're going to discuss about this arc. We have Shinpei Kurada. Uh, he is a detective investigator. Uh, he's on the case. Except he dies after one episode. Um, he's also known, though, as the Scarecrow. He's actually one of those in- synthetic humans from the Toa group. Um, that he that employ him and make him do investigations, but he also gets assassinated uh, by another ca- uh, character named Mo Murder, uh, who also takes on the guise of a man named Sasaki, who is, he's not a journalist. What the fuck is he? <laughs> he was some, um, he works, He his cover is like working for some like food organization or some baloney, isn't it? I think so. I think so. As a driver, he did a really cool run, and that was kind of it. <laughs> Pretty much. And then we're also going to talk about our actual main antagonist uh, of this arc, doc- Dr. Makiko Kusugi. Uh, she is. She's actually Nagi's physician. Um, while she her, while she's at her stay at the hospital during her uh, wonderful sickness, uh, and she basically loses her goddamn mind. And turns into, I don't know what the fuck she turns into, basically. Like, did she take... My question is, because we never see her actually take it. Did she take the drugs? (laughs) Did she Uh, just, like, become a superhuman? Uh, Okay, uh, this is like the critical question of, did Araki put the mask on? Which, like, (laughs) 
Of course they did. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of, yes. Um, So the individuals who are voicing these characters, as Detective Kuroda, we have Mr. J. Michael Tatum, who has played characters such as Isaac Dean from Bacchano, Butch Cassidy from Drifters, and William from Romeo X. Juliet. As Mo Murder, we have Mr. Aaron Roberts, who has voiced characters for series like Barbaro uh, in 91 Days, Klaus Lunette from Black Clover, and Lacus Welt from Seraph of the End. And as Dr. Kisugi, we have Lydia McKay, who has played characters such as Madame Red from the Black Butler franchise, Katarina from Trinity Blood, and Trisha Elric from Fullmetal Alchemist. Uh, Amon, would you kick us off with this run? Sure. Um... Yeah, I enjoyed these performances a lot. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with Tatum because I really liked Scarecrow. I thought he was really interesting. I'm always a sucker for a good PI story, and like any good PI story, he he dies like a chump at the end. But he's a noble <laughs> chump. He gets he's to die happy. Uh, but no, I actually really liked Tatum. I no, you know what? Somewhat Japan finance a show about a private detective so that Funimation could license it and cast Tatum in the lead role. Because he's really good at this. He has he is so the voice for this kind of character, and it occurs to me, like, this is the exact kind of character that doesn't actually show up in anime very much, and so Tatum can't voice him, which is a shame. I had so much fun listening <laughs> yeah, to him in this the episode. Last, the last uh, I can think that? of is Darker Than Black. Yeah, and he's not in that. Oh, um, yeah, I, oh, yeah, he's not in that. I was trying to go over because there was a detective in that show, but that was Chris Sabin, I think. Yeah. Uh, but look, he, I, I really enjoyed him in here. He might... I'm not, I'm not quite sure he's, like, my favorite performance in the show, period, but I feel like he's up there. He was just... He was a really fun character to be with for a whole episode. And I thought yeah, he... Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, there you go. Go ahead. I, I, I was going to say, like, this wasn't, like, a, like, one of my personal favorites, but... I mean, but I did like him. This, I mean, yeah, it is, like, a very... Michael did a role, but I thought he did a really good job with it. He gave the right amount of energy, and you know, I really liked his scene where he's uh, dying and uh, speaking with Boogie Pop. I got a gig Boogie Pop his name, and I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's the other big important thing about this character. He actually essentially gives Boogie Pop her name, which is actually interesting. Yeah. What? Did, how did he describe it? It was um. Like uh, a spooky bubble, basically. Yeah, he, he mentions. Um, it was yeah, it was like you, you the script. I forget the exact order. It was something like you're you're like a boogeyman, and he compares it to like a bubble, like something kind of shimmering yeah. and vague that he a can't boogie, really a boogeyman see. that's like a bubble of something. Like, yeah, yeah, something like that. It was really interesting. Yeah, it was like it was like a, it was oddly poetic for a phrase that like I always thought was just kind of nonsense. Like yeah. I never I never understood. It's like boogie pop. What a weird name. That's the yeah. next like question. I had always, always wondered about it too. And that's, like that's, having seen the original series like a few years ago, I'm like, how did that name even happen? And now yeah, that's, I that, know. Now I think about it, that's literally a question I've had for like almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't get I think, it. I thought it was like an Iggy Pop reference. <laughs> <laughs> no, watch it actually was. Watch it actually was this whole time. <laughs> yeah, be out of character for this show. Um, you're right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, I, he just gave a nice performance. Like he he does that same thing that a lot of the synthetic humans do, where they're kind of uh, muted. But I thought mm-hmm. he still brought it uh, uh, true to his character as being, I think, like the synthetic human who like breaks away from that mold the strongest. He like yeah. provide a lot of emotion, and I liked a lot of his scenes with Pigeon, where they just kind of they're back and forth. I thought a lot of those were really cute. Oh um, yeah. Um. Pigeon's another synthetic human. We're not gonna get to really. 
um, cover her. She's voiced by Sarah Wiedenheft. Yeah. Um, no, he was just a good performance. And apparently he's named after a Pink Floyd song that I like that is not super well known. Uh, did, did I did I write this series? These are all these are all creative decisions I would make. It's very weird. Like no one references Piper at the Gates of Dawn. Nobody. Um, the show is made for you. Apparently, yeah, yeah, more than I thought. Um, Whoops. But not to spend all my time on Tatum, I also do want to give props to Lydia and Aaron, who I both really enjoyed. I I also found more Mo Murder very interesting for the kind of similar reasons like he's he's much more like uh how we see a lot of the other synthetic humans he's very muted he's very loyal to this system he's a product of um but he still throws in with um nagi when she starts investigating stuff partially to his own ends but also because he kind of starts like forming a relationship with another person which is clearly new to him um and i i, I liked his performance a lot in that too and oh boy lydia <laughs> oh she's she's she what a what a wonderful psycho you do play oh, uh, she was she's she's fun and <laughs> that character did not did not character did not go in the direction i thought it was she was, was like razafon the last time she played a character like that maybe 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 i don't know wait was yeah. she in razafon she was like the mom in razafon i haven't seen razafon in a while holy shit it's been a few years. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I enjoyed her performance a lot. She had this, um, just this really, like, odd kind of insidious character who I thought she really got to dig into, and especially kind of present that, that thing with villains where they, where they never really think of what they're doing as being very evil. It's just kind of like, I'm performing an experiment. I want to know what the limits of fear are, mm -hmm. and this is how I'm going to do it. Uh, yeah, it was just, it was just a, a good performances all around in this segment, I thought. And um, then the creepy end goal of, like, I wonder what Nagi Kirima's fear would be like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that very creepy end goal for her. Oh, sweet lord. Um, what's also, I think, interesting with um, Anne Roberts' is Mo Murder, because um, you are, you, you, I will agree with you, like, he's also one of the more, gen like, generic is probably not the correct term but it's the best one i can think of to describe this that muted stoic emotionless character um but Mo murder does like kind of start forming this new relationship with nagi but what's very interesting about Mo murder he's the one who fucking killed her dad yeah <laughs> that's yeah. a thing that's awkward uh, yeah that's, that's very awkward, awkward. And I didn't think Nagi ever finds that before he dies. So, nope. Uh, yeah. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Which makes his relationship with Nagi even stranger. <laughs> it's like, are you going to murder her? What? What is? What are you interested in her for? Uh. <laughs> but um. So yeah. I know Laura Chapman was the mom in Razafon. I made a mistake. Oh, okay. I was like, wait a second. Hold on. It's like that's ADV. Lydia Mackey didn't do ADV. Anyway, um. But yeah, I, I really, I I really do like um, Aaron as Mo Murder as well with for his stoicism and then questioning his, he's he kind of questions his own missions and and what he's actually his purpose actually is. Which it, 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 while that's a generic like character through line, it actually is done very well uh, through Aaron. Uh, Tatum is also very interesting as well because uh, he's not that muted synthetic individual until he's actually pushed towards it towards the end of his episode at the same time though you can also ve tell very very much that he just wants an out 
he wants to get out of the situation he's currently in. Like, he's he's also a hitman for the Toa group, but he also uses this cover of, like, a private detective as well as his, like, quote-unquote day job. But you can tell that he just wants to... He seems kind of exhausted and run down with the life he's led up until this point. So you can tell that he wants to get out of this organization. He wants to live a free life. And that perf- character line, for as short of an epi- as short of a time stamp we have him, um, that's that through line, I think, is developed rather well through Taylor's performance. And yeah, Lydia Maggie, holy hell. Because <laughs> um, she does show a mature and professional nature um, with, like, the scientist's brain and everything like that. But when she... Some, like she slowly starts becoming this twisted individual it almost seems like she has like these we like these twisted carnal desires like it's it's like a almost like a primal kind of situation except more put together if that makes sense at all uh yeah but yeah, yeah. i get where you're going with yeah. that yeah, like you, it really that that carnal primal primal desire really comes out in the last um, episode or two of the story, where she's just full force, <laughs> like full force, like come on, Nagi, let's go. <laughs> but um, yeah, Lydia Mackey, oh my god, she's scary. Lydia Mackey, scary. Can we get more scary, Lydia Mackey? I like that a lot. Um, anyone else have anything to add? Uh, yeah, I'm sure I have. Uh, I have notes for a couple of these. Okay. Uh, uh, going into uh, Aaron Roberts as a Mo Murder. Um, Aaron Roberts is a boy that I'm like personally familiar with, but I enjoyed him here. I, I like you guys were saying, I liked how he gave Mo Murder kind of every man voice. I made him sound slightly more human than some of the other Toa members we come across in this show, but uh, just enough of a monotone to sound slightly off, and it kind of helps with the you know the show's whole unsettling atmosphere. And uh, when we first met his character at the beginning of the arc, I kind of figured he wasn't going to have too much purpose beyond killing Noggy's dad. But uh, as we said before, this is a this is an ensemble show, so turns out he actually was pretty important. Yes. And uh, you know, he and Noggy team up to solve the mystery surrounding Doctor Kisugi. And I liked the very odd, weird odd couple dynamic he and Noggy had. And I liked how Aaron's subdued voice kind of played off of the more expressive and charismatic tone of Naki's actress. And I thought they were a pretty solid duo for the brief time they were together on screen. Again, it is a little weird in the grand scheme of things that Naki kind of more or less teams up with her dad's killer, but uh, it is what it is, I guess. Uh, and um, I definitely liked Aaron's dying, uh, dying moments where uh, Naki kind of tells him that he's too kind to ever willingly kill people of his own free will, which is a little uh, interesting, uh, given yeah. how much of his arc was about him kind of discarding his own sense of purpose. And I thought that was uh, pretty interesting, and it kind of helped him, you know, to kind of come a little more to terms with some of the things he had to do for the Toa organization. And, uh, yeah, I dug his performance. Uh, but what I really, really liked out of this arc was definitely Lydia Mackey as Dr. Kizuki. Uh, like, Okay, like another character we're going to be covering later. This is another normal human turned psycho killer. <laughs> and <Lydia> Clay- <laughs> Our other psycho killer, the teenage psycho killer. Uh, I w- no, I wasn't even talking about that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh! 
You're talking about teacher psycho killer, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I'm talking about teacher Got it. Psycho we'll killer. talk about him next. So much yeah. murder in this show. <laughs> yeah. Everybody uh, just so, wants to kill. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so when we first meet the good doctor, she's fairly normal sounding and while Lydia's naturally deep voice makes her sound out almost immediately, she still comes off as unassuming enough that you wouldn't like immediately peg her as the bad guy, but as the arc picks up and Dr. Kisugi begins her change after finding new drug to say Buffy, Lydia's performance starts to sound more and more unhinged, and while she's still able to wear a mask of sanity where she needs to, there's always a thinly veiled layer of menace in her toe that comes off as pretty creepy. And some of that whole bit where she's like, uh, pushing around with one of the other doctors to see how far she can mess with him, and, uh, mm -hmm. and, <laughs> but of course, uh, what really makes the performance fun is just when Dr. Kisugi drops the mask entirely and Lydia gets to go full quality him. And uh, we get to see just how deranged the character actually is, and it's very, very, very entertaining. I mean, I'm partial to her fight with Aki, but uh, but my favorite was definitely that bit where Dr. Kisugi is with one of her patients, and she scares the guy so much that he literally pees himself. Ah! <laughs> yep, that's a thing. It's like one of my Japanese animes. <laughs> Wait, I'm in a Japanese anime? Oh my god! Snake, get in here! I'm in an anime! And <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah, on the whole, this uh, yeah, so on the whole, I thought Lydia had a lot of fun with this one. She did a really good job of making Dr. Kitsugi sound like a really entertaining villain, and uh, yeah, good performance. Awesome, Lack. Do you have anything else to add? Um, I just really like this arc overall. I thought the performances were really good. Uh, again, this was one that there was a lot of emotional performance behind it. Um, I thought Aaron Roberts' Mo Murder was really good because I, I felt like he developed as a character through the story. I, I think the best part about Boogie Pop at Dawn is just the fact that there was more to every character than what was on the surface. Mm -hmm. And I, I think each of the actors really, like, define that pretty well. You've got J. Michael Tatum as Shinpei, who, you know, he's a synthetic human created by the Toa organization, whatever that means. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, he's he's he really feels like a real person with real wants and desires. You've got um, Makiko, who... You know, she plays the persona of this caring uh, psychiatrist, psychologist, and, like, it, she's actually a psychopath. And you've got Mo Murder, who is a hired killer, but he kind of realizes that, you know, there is more to him as the story goes on. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what really was strong about Boogie Papa Don, was just that there was more to the characters than just what we saw from the beginning. So. Yeah. I kind of, I gotta bring up um, for a second uh, the scene where um, Dr. Kisugi, um, where we first see Toka Miyashita for the first time in this story, because um, her mom decides she's she's terrible, she's sick, she has a split personality, and she forces her to go see Dr. Kisugi, and the interaction she has with Boogie Pop actually. Like, what do you imagine yourself? What is it, what is this other personality in you? Who are they? Are they a male? Like, who are they? And, like, the sudden shift from Toka to Boogie Pop and then the conversation that they have with the doctor is actually really, really intriguing. 
and I, I, oh God, I can't remember part of, I cannot remember part of the conversation because I watched the um, episodes last week, but um, it, I just really liked that scene. It kind of had, it wasn't intense, but it was a very intellectual conversation that was done on the same, like on equal footing. And I thought it was very intriguing, honestly. Oh, okay, yeah. I, I think I just literally recalled what the conversation was about while you were talking. What? That's, okay, um, that's, okay, uh, it was Dr. Kitsugi was trying to, uh, I guess, dig a little into Boogie Pop, and Boogie Pop starts going on about uh, about the enemies he has to deal with. Okay, mm-hmm. and uh, K- okay, and Kitsugi okay, eventually asked if she would be someone who could be considered one of Boogie Pop's enemies. Oh, <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yep, that's a thing. Because the, the, one of the big things with Boogie Pop is she'll only appear if there is a threat. They'll... they'll we, you can't really tell if this is supposed to be a female presence or a male presence. It's hard to uh, say. I, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure they... I'm pretty sure they said Boogie Pop is supposed to be male. Like, I did, like, I did watch the Japanese version. They blomb-sized it up and... Uh, he and Boogie Pop definitely uses male pronouns, so okay. Yeah, in the in the novel, he's also described with male pronouns, though I think it's they also they also it's also written from the point of view of um, what's her what's her name's boyfriend who talks about how weird it is to see his girlfriend behaving like this in such a like oh talking not her so like yeah so there's there's also a lot in there where I feel like there it's like technically male but there's also very like unclear anyways. Yeah, it's it's you know. hard to say. Like, male seems to be the description, but like trying to figure out the correct thing to let's, call let's, Boogie what Pop. Is, what is the correct gender pronoun? For what sort is of the a, correct a, gender? A, a a a being of indeterminate origin and purpose. That's, that's at this a, point, Boogie Pop is a gender to me. <laughs> yeah, pretty, that's really how this is gonna work. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a bad attitude, frankly. Honestly, because no, we're not we don't know what what they are we don't know who they are really or how they came to be we don't know if it's a split personality or like chinibio fucking horse shit we don't shit. even know if it actually is like a living being or just some ethereal yep. like being so yeah we we don't cuz it's it's very the, a similar thing actually comes up with another character we're going to discuss a little bit later where they actually have essentially the second presence inside them this power inside them so we're gonna we'll talk about that a little bit more uh later but i think we are good to move on to the next set of characters yes or the next story i should say oh yeah yeah yep. yeah. Oh, yeah i have a oh, yeah i have a lot of notes for this one actually <laughs> oh sweet lord and this is actually the largest largest grouping we're gonna have um uh, hmm. that, that is appropriate because i found out in its original novel form uh this is actually two books uh, that, that makes sense because this one had the most episodes, I think. Yes. Yes, it did. And then I think um, King of Distortion was the second largest, the second longest story. Um, but we're going to talk about the story Boogie Pop versus Imaginator. Um, this story. Oh God, where do I even start with this one? <laughs> so there's two different. There's like three different stories, like. Mi- like plot lines mixed into one there's one about this girl who's also the- named the imaginator that appears to boogie pop and shit that doesn't exactly go anywhere and then we have this high school teacher who has this uh, who has this ability to see essentially 
the flowers in people's hearts and he can see like the flaws so like if one flower doesn't have a bud or another one may not have roots or no leaves or is shorter or things like that and he has the ability actually to correct these which is kind of a dangerous thing to have <laughs> and kind oh, of yeah. it's kind of slowly his storyline kind of slowly makes it start turning into a cult of some sorts in a way yeah, I mean, he—I mean, he was—he was pretty normal, and then he met the Imaginator. Then he met the Imaginator, <laughs> pretty much. And then we have another story with these two kids, one of which is um, Nagi Kinima's half brother, um, who meets and kind of starts falling in love with this girl, who's actually a synthetic human herself, uh, who is working for this other dude who works for the Toa organization, and. All sorts of shit. This is a very complicated story. And so the fact that they managed to fit it in, like, what is it? Six episodes? Five or six episodes? Something like that. Uh, six sounds right. Yeah, I think it was about six. I think it was six. Because I think um, Distortion was five, I believe. But, um, yeah, the fact that they are able to fit this <laughs> into six episodes. Holy hell. Um, so, six? Aha! Uh -huh. Well... It's not six characters we're talking about. It was almost six. Um, so the five characters we're going to discuss from this storyline, we have the female Imaginator, uh, Suiko Minohoshi. Uh, we have Jean Asukai, who is the teacher in question who has the ability to see those flowers and the flaws inside of people and magically ends up becoming a cult leader because he's kind of crazy. Uh, we have Masaki Taniguchi, who is Nagi Kirima's half-brother who falls in love with Aya Orihata, who is the female synthetic human. Uh, and then we have basically Orihata's boss, Spooky E, who has these weird electrical powers. He can zap you, and he's also fucking crazy. <laughs> and everyone's crazy in this show. It's fine. It's fine. Anyway, the individuals who are voicing these characters as Suiko, female Imaginator. We have Bryn April, who is voiced characters such as Krista, aka Historia, uh, from Attack on Titan. We have as Nina from Gangsta and Hiyori from Noragami. As Jean Asukai, we have our ADR director, Mr. Mike McFarlane, who has played characters such as Jean Kirstein from Attack on Titan, Tybalt from Romeo X Juliet, and Kotaro Amon from Tokyo Ghoul series. As Masaki Taniguchi, we have a more fresh face to the voice acting game, Christopher Lewin Ramirez, who is voiced... He, has, he still hasn't had a lot of major roles to his name right yet. Um, his two major roles to date, though, would be Asahi Shina from, the, from Free Dive to the Future and Seth from Radiant. As Aya Orihata, we have Jade Saxon, who has voiced characters such as Mautome Meonaka from Akiba Strip, uh, Nona from Death Parade, and uh, Kana from Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid. And as Spooky E, we have Chris Rager, who has voiced characters such as the Great Gozu from Rampa 3, End of Hope's Peak Academy's Future Arc, uh, Garfa from Maria the Virgin Witch, and Kaiser Linfard from Rage of Bahamut Genesis. Um, hmm. Who am I going to pick on the start first? Jet! What are your thoughts on these characters? Okay, um, so I'll start with Jin. Uh, so Mark McFarland is usually almost always somewhere that stuff he directs, and while this wasn't quite where I would have pegged him, he does a very solid job here. Uh, when we first meet Jin, he's uh, he's fairly well-intentioned, if a little unusual, and 
Pike's tone reflects that as he admittedly makes him sound like a concerned teacher looking out for the well-being of his students. Uh, but, however, when he encounters the Imaginator and slowly starts seeing the potential for his powers, uh, he starts to take in a more and more detached tone. And uh, by the time we get to the end of the arc, he sounds almost emotionless as he prepares to enact his plan to awaken the potential of humanity, I guess. Uh, and uh, it was a pretty interesting shift. Uh, this certainly isn't the first time I've seen Mark McFarlane in a villain role, and, uh, I mean, well, okay, again, it's not the first time I've heard him in a villain role, but, uh, this is not the first time I heard him doing, um, the kind of cold, uh, detached villain role, and I thought mm. that was, uh, pretty interesting, since I'm usually used to him doing stuff on the hammer end of things, you know, like, uh, Buggy the Clown from One Piece. Yeah, uh, he, so he is... does a lot of hammy villains sometimes. Buggy the Clown, and then, um... What's his What's his face from um, Servamp? Ah, uh, I don't I don't remember his character from Servamp. I just remember how he sounded. Yeah, I do too. It's basically Buggy the Clown. That's <laughs> <laughs> basically how yeah. to describe it. Yeah. Uh, um, so yeah, this was uh, definitely interesting. It wasn't one of my favorite performances in the ensemble, but it was definitely nice to see Mike doing something different. Uh, what was one of my favorite performances in the ensemble was Brittany Pearl as the Imaginator. And that one was definitely a very surreal experience for me because um, it has been a little bit since the last time I've listened to her in a major role, but I'm used to her sounding, you know, typically very high pitched and, you know, playing either very hyperactive or very shy characters. Uh, so this one was definitely a big 180 for me. Uh, the voice she gives the Imaginator is definitely a lot deeper than pretty much anything else I've heard her do, and it has a very eerie quality to it that makes the Imaginator sound... Uh, equal parts hypnotic and, unsett and unsettling. And uh, she definitely had me on the edge of my seat for uh, almost every time she spoke, honestly. And uh, although, again, the voice itself doesn't really sound like something that would belong to a high schooler, it totally sounds like it would belong to, you know, whatever the heck the imaginator is supposed to be. And uh, I definitely enjoyed all of her interactions with uh, Mike McFarlane's chin. As uh, she more or less played the role of the devil whispering in his ear, and uh, the way she managed to turn him into a monster overnight was uh, definitely pretty unnerving. I mean, I will say that out of all the arcs villains, uh, the Imaginator was the only one whose deal I didn't, like, totally get, but uh, it's either the, the Imaginator is probably a recurring antagonist, so I guess maybe T pops up more later? I don't know. Uh, either way, I thought Pre April was really great there. Uh, as for, uh, Masaki, uh, this was my second time hearing Christopher Lowen Ramirez, and, and to be honest, this one was honestly a little rough for me starting out. Uh, mainly because M Masaki is supposed to be a middle schooler, and Christopher's voice sounds a little too deep for that to come off believably, and it kind of threw me off for a little bit. Uh, well, it doesn't seem like it would be too much of a problem, given uh, a lot of the characters in this show don't totally sound their age. Um... Mazuki is at the very least supposed to sound normal, so it did feel a little weird to me. Uh, it didn't help that some of his line reads were maybe a little stiff starting out, and some of his pronunciation was also a little off to me. I uh, especially wasn't too big on the way he emphasized each, some of the syllables, whatever he said, Orihata. Uh, but I will say that as he been as uh, that as the ambassador arc went on and we spent more time with the character. Uh, Christopher's performance eventually uh, improved, and uh, while I was never totally able to get over how deep his voice sounded, 
His performance was definitely a solid enough to balance that out. And I definitely enjoyed a lot of his chemistry with Jane Saxon's Aya, as he managed to believably sell Matsuki as a kind of awkward but uh, generally earnest teen who may have been going just a little bit too far to please his crush. Uh, so yeah, while this one was kind of on a weaker end of the ensemble for me, I thought Christopher grew on me enough overall that I'm curious to see what else he'll be capable of in the future. Uh, also, as a side note, I also really dug Matsuki's scene with Boogie Pop where uh, he kind of realizes that Aya might have been brainwashing him the whole time, and then he kind of questions if pretty much anything he did for her was of his own free will. Oh, yeah. And then, yeah, and then Boogie Pop uh, effectively tells him that in the end, it really isn't too, there really isn't any such thing as free will, since uh, in the end, kind of everyone is brainwashed by society in one way or another, so uh, rather than focusing on that, it's just kind of more important to focus on doing what feels right to you, and I thought that was pretty insightful. And uh, while, again, I wasn't really expecting any kind of social commentary from this show, uh, this uh, that exchange definitely kind of helped me to give an idea of uh, why the novels were so influential in Japan. I thought that was very interesting. Uh, as for Jay Saxon as, I, as Aya, I really liked what she brought to the role. Uh, Aya was another one of the non-human characters in the cast. And uh, like a lot of the other folks in this show, she... Plays Aya with a very emotionally detached tone that makes it clear something is very off about her uh, without, you know, ever veering into total monotone. And it's definitely a good thing, too, because unlike a lot of the other entities we encounter in this show, Aya actually does have to make an attempt to pass off with a normal human. And while she's uh, clearly not very good at it, I appreciate that Jade Saxon gives her just enough emotion to make her slightly resemble a normal teenager. And it makes a lot of Aya's interactions with Masaki more interesting as we start to see her slowly show more emotion and more sides we spend with him. And I enjoyed the way she handled a lot of, a lot of Aya's internal conflict regarding how she was deceiving Masaki and her own lack of self-worth. And I liked the little romance between Aya and Masaki. I thought that whole thing was kind of cute even if it was a little predictable. And, uh... Yeah, I thought that dynamic was pretty good throughout the whole arc, especially during that whole climax with Jin and Boogie Pop, where she kind of discovers that uh, she is exactly in great danger to Matsuki that she sort of made herself out to be, and that, okay, and that it's okay for her to live in if, even if she's not a quote-unquote normal human. It's some of the most emotion we ever really see from the character, and Jay nailed that really well. And I thought it was a very solid performance. Uh, of course, the most fun performance here was definitely Chris Rager as Spooky E. <laughs> I'm gonna okay, zap okay. you. Yeah. These little Oof. shits need to do what I say. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I especially appreciate that Spooky E looks like exactly the kind of guy who would go around calling himself Spooky E. Yeah. So. <laughs> His character design is like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. And, uh, Looks like okay. he's been taking a little too much spooky E, if you know what I mean. God damn it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's gonna sound weird, but I appreciate that there's like a little bit of a, like a kind of redneck flavor to his voice that kind of helped <laughs> add to that. So. That actually was a really nice touch. Yeah. <laughs> redneck flavor. Oh my god. That's a, that's a description right there. Yeah. Uh, uh, also, while it's a little bit off topic, I don't know if any of you have ever seen Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated. Not the new but there's show, a char- Yeah. Yeah, but there's a character in that show who calls himself Mr. E, mm-hmm. and Spooky E looks almost exactly like him. That's, That's actually I- funny. I don't know yeah. if that was a reference or not. 
Yeah, yeah, like literally the only difference is that that guy has black hair and Spooky is blonde. Yeah. Otherwise, this is all the things. And Louis Black isn't voicing Spooky. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it makes me wonder if someone on this show was maybe a fan of that. I don't know. <laughs> oh God. Now I gotta look this shit up. Hold on. I I have learned something truly amazing. What? Would you would you Spooky E is a reference to something? Would you like to know what Spooky E is a reference oh to? Oh my God, Mister E does look a lot like Spooky E. Holy hell! Would you, Sorry, would you, would continue. You, no, would you, all right. So, well, here here's a fun fact. Uh, you may you may note uh, that the theme park, the climax of this arc takes place at, is called Paisley Park. Yes, and that sure, name, and which that, is a and, Prince reference. Yes, that is the name of Prince's home studio. Spooky E is an evil alternate personality that Prince claimed helped him make one of his less well received albums in the early nineties. That is amazing. <laughs> That's Spooky really Electric is what he's called. <laughs> Oh, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he helped make the Black Album, which was Prince's possibly ill-advised attempt to get back into the uh, early 90s R&B scene after not really being a part of it for a while. Uh, yeah. Jesus Christ. Uh, well, <laughs> this show. Oh, wow. yeah, was that when he was the symbol? Yes. Uh, if not if not then, like, right, that he became the symbol, like, right after that. Okay, yeah, alright. Uh, and that was just reminded me of what, like, of what probably my single favorite live of this show is. Uh-huh. I'm going to zap these Orbeez with my spooky electric powers. <laughs> oh my god. If that was If that was done on purpose. You know you know what I like Bravo. about this show? It's serious, but not so much that it can't be a little knowingly goofy, and I like that. If that was done on purpose, then Bravo, Clayton, uh. Bravo. <laughs> Oh my god, that's brilliant. Uh, anyway. Uh, so, yeah, so anyway, getting back to Chris Rager, uh, I thought he brought the right level of nastiness to his performance, and he did a great job of making Spooky E sound gruff and over-the-top without ever getting too cartoony with it. And uh, he really made me want to see this character get punched in the face, and while his eventual comeuppance isn't, like, super extreme... I appreciated how much Chris Rager's tone softened up when Jade eventually took control of old Spooky E here. And uh, while there wasn't a whole ton of depth to this character in the end, I was very entertained by him. And Chris Rager's performance definitely helped in that, so I was very happy here. Okay. Anyone want to add anything to that? I don't know if I could add anything to that. <laughs> I'm in pretty solid agreement. Like I, yeah. I, I, I do want to note. I, I really enjoyed the interplay between Christopher and Jade. Like I'm, I'm usually, yeah. I'm usually not someone who puts a lot of investment in like shipping characters. But like this whole arc, it was like I'm rooting for those kids. I want them to make it. <laughs> I want these two weird kids to be okay. Yeah, I, I really like Jade Saxton as an actress, and I think her turn as Aya was really good. I, I actually like Aya's character, in spite of Versus Imaginator not being one of my favorite stories here. But that's interesting. Yeah, I think the uh, I think all the performances were pretty strong. Yeah, you know? Jade's performance. Are... It's nice to see Mike McFarlane play an adult. <laughs> <laughs> you right. Oh, man. No, like, um, Orihata, kind of, the character reminds me, in a way, of, like, a doll. If that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, She reminds me of, like, this subdued, emotionless, lifeless doll. And she's treated as such for a good amount of the story, except with, um, Masaki. 
um, who actually treats her as a human being. You know what I mean? So it's very interesting to see that progression for Jade, and I really think that's well done, too. Um, and then I'm in agreement with with you, Jed, about um, Chris Ramirez, because that's... So we first actually get introduced to Masaki very, very briefly in the first story arc, when um, another character who we'll discuss later on goes to um, see Nagi Kirima, and he's the one who answers the door. I did not know that was Chris Ramirez at all. <laughs> and I'm like, hmm, okay. But then we got to um, this storyline and I could hear bits and pieces of it. Because um, the only other role I really know him for is Asahi from Free <laughs> at this point. I have not watched Radiant at all. Um, so he's still, he's still very new. Still very new. So it was a little, it was a little bit rough to kind of start out with, but um, like like Jet was saying, I think he kind of grew into it a bit more. But I think it's more on the fault of the tone of voice not quite matching the age of what the character should be. But he he did really well um later eventually a little later on once he got the chance to kind of develop the character a bit more. Um, yes, yeah, Spooky E is also fun. His spooky electric powers. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm done with that. Oh my god. Sweet I, lord. I just feel a little bad. I always feel like Chris Rager keeps playing like gross villains really well. And I always feel a little terrible because like he's really good at it. I don't want people to think like that. I think I like he's a good actor. I think he's a, he seems like a very nice man, but he plays creeps so good. I mean, you want to know who's not a creep? Principal Asano, yeah. he's just some evil, sadistic man, um, and it's brilliant. Who also, who also is not also not a creep, Kaiser from Major Bomb, and he's just ham. Um. Anyway, um, what else? What else? What else? Uh, what else? What else? What else? What else? Yeah, I I also actually really like Bren as well. Um. It's very, like Jeb was saying, it's a lower t register of voice, tone of voice that we normally hear her. But it also has a lot of subtlety to it. And you can, like, like tell there's, like, manipulation, like, manipulative tones and things in there. Um, especially with her interaction with um, Jin. And I thought that was very intriguing, rather well done. And... Damn it, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Why you? Why you got to be the crazy one? Just, <laughs> one just, of the crazy ones. I just imagine Mike McFarlane, like you know, in in prep for like casting people, just reading the script for the first episode of this, being like, "Yeah, I want to play this guy. This guy seems, <laughs> this guy seems off putting. Yeah, let's play him. I want to be this one. <laughs> like, why not? That's how you. you have, that's how you do get shit done. Um. It, so it's always that fun game. Who does the director cast themselves in in their show, and what does that say about them? Hmm. No, but um, Gene is actually really interesting because I think this one also took me a little bit for me to get into. Like, I don't know why it did. I, I it's hard to explain why it took me a little bit for for me to really get into Micah's Gene. I don't know if maybe it was the tone of voice or the performance itself that was a little bit off putting to me at first. Um, but. As the story went on, and as we saw Jean, like, slowly develop into this 
antagonistic role of the but more of the quote-unquote savior of humanity and all this fun stuff like once we really started kind of see him grow into that a bit more i think it he actually really got to have fun with it and really grow into it um anybody else have anything that want to add i learned more stupid trivia i can share with you what do you got? So, so Aya also has like an alternate name she uses when she's being a synthetic human, which is Camille. This is also a Prince reference. Uh, no, no, there's <laughs> a story. There's a story behind this one. Um, Prince used to have proteges he'd like um, sort of like help their careers with occasionally, and at some point he basically decided he was going to make a fake female protege named Camille, which was just going to be Prince, except they just changed the recording so his voice was pitched up. Oh my god. And then they're going to release this as like Camille and have some model on the cover, but it was just going to be Prince. <laughs> Prince oh like, my I don't, god. I don't, like, I don't know if you knew this. Prince is a weird dude. Like, I mm. love him to death, but he was a very odd man. <laughs> uh, the more you know. Do, do, do. Uh, that's interesting. Oh, uh,. So, oh, I actually did have notes on uh, Molly Rudak as Totoway because I actually did think we were covering her. Yeah, but... I know. For time's sake, though, we're not. I, for time's sake, I figured we could just. I'm sorry, yeah, Mallory. We're, we're you're fantastic. At... Yeah, we're almost at the hour and a half mark. And so. we still have at least like two big sections plus two individual characters. So this is okay. why I had to make. I had to cut fingers at this point. Uh. Anyway, if. Nobody else has anything to add for this storyline, or we good to move on? Uh, nope. Okay, then we're gonna move on to the first story of the entire series, the actual Boogie Pop and Others storyline. Um, this story involves a an alien, a synthetic copy of an alien, and this teenager who has a plot to just fucking destroy the world in a sense by killing people and creating uh, so slaves so you're a typical Edward teenager then <laughs> and keep you in mind this is the all. first arc of the anime yes <laughs> and this and this arc also um it's also very interesting because um a, a, one of these characters is actually very very prevalent in the original um boogie pop phantom series too but we'll get to him in a second um uh, actually we'll get to him right now <laughs> uh the characters we're going to discuss in the story uh we have masami Sautome, who is our one of who is a teenager who's in high school um he actually meets he actually meets this otherworldly be being um called the manticore um who can basically like who can basically i don't know what they can exactly do really they uh, they can create they can... drugs and kill people and take their forms and shit they're a man-eater uh yeah like i just remember like the manticore's whole deal was that it is a clone of the other being called echoes and it mm -hmm. wants to establish itself as the original i guess yeah pretty much uh, and the Manticore ends up teaming up with Sautame, um, with this plot to create slaves and to basically rule the world as a dynamic duo. Uh, we also have, as, Je as Jed actually mentioned, we actually have Echoes, who is the original. Um, he is this otherworldly being from another planet, I guess, um, who is here to observe Earth and humanity um, and make and pass judgment as to whether hum whether humanity is good or or not 
Um, and then our fourth character we're going to discuss, we're going to talk about uh, Naoko Kamikishiro. Um, she is another student um, at the high school. Uh, she ha She's in a relationship to another with another character um, we're actually going to discuss after this. And she actually is the one of the people who finds Echoes, befriends him, and if it wasn't for her, then they would probably kill us all. <laughs> you know, a word of advice to anyone watching this, don't make this one of the anime you try to introduce your friend to anime with. No. This is a terrible <laughs> idea. This is this is an advanced studies anime. They will never want to watch another anime after seeing this. It'll, yeah. it, it, it will be like that time I was running the anime club at my college, and some random dude who I'd never seen before just came in one day. I'm sure thinking we were going to be watching, like, Dragon Ball Z, something exciting. We were watching Haibane Renmei that week. Oh, yes. Uh, and he left after about 40 minutes. <laughs> Whoops. Oh, well. Anyway, I'm going to go backwards in terms of who voices characters. I'm actually going to start with Naoko. Uh, the individual who voices Naoko is Miss Skylar McIntosh, who has voiced characters such as Izetta from Izetta the Last Witch, Nanami Takumi from King's Game the Animation, and Enri Emmett from the Overlord franchise. As the glorious being echoes, we have Mr. David Matranga, who has voiced characters such as Subaru Asahina from Brothers Conflict, Luke from Garo Vanishing Line, and... <laughs> autocorrect, what the fuck? <laughs> I'm gonna say the name that Autocorrect decided to give here, alright? Shots Todoroki from My Hero Academia. <laughs> Thanks, Autocorrect. Uh, Shoto Todoroki uh, from My Hero Academia. As, um... The Manticore, who, um, she takes on the the Manticore t who takes on the guise of a dead student, uh, Miniko Yorehara. Uh, the Manticore is voiced by Trina Nishimura, who has voiced characters such as Mikasa Ackerman from Attack on Titan, Kirisu Makise from the Steins Gate franchise, and Kenjiro Minami from Yuri on Ice. And as Sautame, uh, we have Steven Fu who has voiced characters such as Yue Nikaido from Golden Kamui, Genji from Kakarito Ben Breakfast for Spirits, and Auntie from SSSS Gridman. Uh, so fun fact about Sautame, because I mentioned before Sautame is in the original series. Do you know who voices him? Who? Crispin Freeman. <laughs> well then. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Crispin Freeman was originally a New York voice actor, so that's not super surprising. No. And then there's also this thing where... I mean, that must have been one of his last New York roles before he moved to California. Uh, I mean, he was around for a little bit before then. He was in Slayers. He was in Utana. No. <laughs> yeah, he was around for a bit. But, um... Yeah, Sautame as a character in general is really interesting. Uh, and what's more interesting in Boogie Pop Phantom um, with Sautame, Sautame is also known as the Manticore. So he is the Manticore in Boogie Pop Phantom. But how that ends up happening, we don't actually get that in um, this show. We don't really have an explanation in this one. In this one, he's just a normal kid who ends up eventually getting zapped by aliens basically uh hmm. anyway uh Amon, do you want to start us off what are your thoughts on these performances uh, i like these performances um how do i describe this plot this this boogie pops a show that kind of chucks you in the deep end and lets you yeah work work your way out it's not big on easing you in it's like nope this is what we are 
It doesn't give you f like floaties or nothing. No, it's like nope, nope. You can, you can, you can. If you if you're not gonna enjoy this, you're gonna know right away. Mm-hmm. That's actually that's, if you watch the first episode, and it's getting it's giving you nothing. Like you can you can probably tap out. To be frank here. Okay. Uh, I mean, oh yeah. On that note, I will say that I think it was very convenient that the first two episodes came out on the same day, and because I watched. Episodes one and two simultaneously. It was like, oh, okay, I get what this is. Yeah, that was, that was, pro that was <laughs> probably not by accident. I'll be honest. Probably um, not. But um, but uh, these like these are really good performances. I enjoyed on the whole. Uh, who should I start with? Um, critiquing this some of these characters is a little hard, just because I will admit, while watching it the first time, since everyone was new. And since all, most of them are high school students wearing some variation of the same uniform, I sometimes had trouble remembering which was which. Just because there was, I did like I didn't recognize anybody yet, and they all wear like the male uniform or the female uniform, except for like Echoes, who's just a weird gray-haired space alien, or whatever his deal is. Um, but I, like, I, did, I thought these performances are strong. Um, I particularly enjoyed um, Stephen and Trino were really fun together. Like this, this weird monster person who's just going around eating people, and then like the guy who's like, yeah, yeah, I'll help you out. That's okay. Yeah, I, I like what you're doing here. I'm gonna give you a hand. Let you sneak around the school. Get you some food. Yeah. Uh, isn't, is... um, isn't, um... No, wait. Hold on. Am I no, no, no. So, no, Saltame is like... I feel like I'm about to use the term incorrectly. Like a, like a sadomasochist, basically. Because <laughs> not only does he want to watch the world burn, he's okay if he gets his ass killed, too. I think, I think Nihilist might be a better description. There it is. Thank you. He's definitely he's definitely a nihilist, which is why he's okay going along with this. Because like, all right, sure. But I, I thought the relationship was like strange but interesting, and I thought I liked the way that Stephen and Trina played off each other in that regard. And also just kind of like Stephen, especially towards the end, where he gets to kind of pontificate about what's going on, and it's all very like smarty pants teenager who clearly thinks they've got it all figured out. Smarty pants? You mean edge lord? Edge lords think they're smart. It doesn't right. mean they are smart, but they think they're smart. It's, it's a key true. component of being an edgelord. <laughs> um, but he, he was just a lot of... He clearly was having a lot of fun just getting to kind of like ham it up in this specific way. So I really enjoyed him. Uh, who else? You have Trina, no, you have uh, Dave Matranga, and you have Skylar. And I'm trying to remember who's who because this is also like the one I've seen least recently. So I'm a little, a little fuzzy on... Um, Who's up? Um, I did. I thought Dave did a nice job as Echoes, even though like Echoes has probably as important as his character is, kind of like in general, he doesn't. He has like relatively fewer lines, and a lot of them are like Echoes isn't really sure what's going on either. Frankly, ah uh, yes, he would uh, also he would also like to have some answers. <laughs> yeah. Side note: While Echoes in the actual Boogie Pop and other storyline doesn't have a lot to say, he actually does pop up again at, um, during Boogie Pop at Dawn. Yes. And that was that was also a fun bit for his performance. I like he had him and Boogie Pop kind of like trying to feel each other out and figure out their respective deals. Like that was that was, yeah, that was, that was, was... I think that actually stood out more than any of the, his performance here, just because there's so many other characters and he's more important as kind of a figure character rather than like an active participant. Oh uh, yeah, I was I spent that whole like I spent that whole sequence trying to figure out what 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 that deal was. I was like. Are they in the future? Is that an alternate dimension? Like it's a Genevio world. What, that's what it is. Yeah, I, I kind of just assume that's where like all the sort of weird ambient beings hang out when they're not doing stuff in the real world. I guess. I don't know. 
Uh, this feels like one of these things where if I'd read that novel, I would have a more concrete explanation, but I haven't read that one, so... Your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I also, I also thought um, uh, Skyler's performance was also very strong. And had a lot of good emotional weight to it. Like, this is, this is just a... This is, it's a good, good solid cast. And I think for as much as this first arc kind of chucks you in the deep end, I do feel like it gives you enough to grab onto if you want to that you can. And I think the dub did a good job of, like, helping that. Uh, like, it's, it, it, even if as much as it doesn't ease you into what's going on, I think it does ease you into kind of, like, the style of how people talk and how the storylines will play out going forward. Um, and I thought that was very well executed on the cast part. Awesome. Uh, Lack, did you want to add anything about these performances? Um, not particularly. Um, I, I think Trina Nishimura as, uh, Minako stood out quite a bit. And, you know, I think Stephen Fu is, uh, as Masami Sotome stuck out too, especially when we see him again in Overdrive. Mm, yes, he does pop up again during that story too. Yeah. Um, Echoes, uh, didn't really say much. <laughs> Literally, that was part of his character, so there's not much to go on, but David Matranga sound fine. Um, uh, Naoko, like, I'm trying to think. Uh, she was pretty good. Uh, I don't, I don't really remember her as well, but I think she, she sounded fine from what I remember of her, but that's basically all I really have to say about Boogie Pop and others. Honestly. Yeah, you you didn't exactly start off the show on the right foot, I don't think, anyway. So yeah. you got thrown yeah. off a bit. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Jed, did you wanna you wanna add more to this? Uh, sure. Uh, I didn't really have anything for Skylar Macintosh's Nato since uh, Nako was only really kind of there for one episode, and I'm not. A really big fan of Skylar McIntosh, to be honest. Uh, I thought like, I thought she I thought she sounded fine here. I guess I thought she gave enough. I, mean, I thought she gave enough energy to the character that you could kind of understand why Echoes was drawn to her, and I thought that dynamic was kind of deeper what it was. Um, I also didn't have a whole ton of ton to say about David Petrago as Echoes, and it's been a good couple of months since I first watch the first arc of the show and uh i will say he kind of sounded the most normal of the supernatural beings if that makes sense considering uh, the strange supernatural beings we have in the show i it makes sense <laughs> yeah uh but uh david is always a very reliable actor but all he didn't believe like a super big impression on me here I thought he added nice to the ensemble, and I liked how David handled all of uh, Echoes' interactions with the high school kids. And uh, I also liked some of his interactions with Boogie Pop, even though, again, we never really learned anything about that dimension they were in, but, you know, I guess some things have been left unsaid. Uh, but two characters who did leave a very strong impression on me were Stephen Fu and Trinity Timur, because those two pretty much sold the show for the first arc. Uh, Sonic with Stephen was Satame. Uh, he's not a voice I'm super familiar with, so the only other thing I really personally know him for is Angie and Gridman, and this doesn't really sound anything like that, but I definitely appreciate the level of slime and arrogance he brought to Satame. 
While again, his general tone doesn't sound like something a quote-unquote normal teen would sound like, he sounds exactly like the kind of cruddy Edgelord teen who thinks he's above everyone else, but really isn't. <laughs> he does, <laughs> actually. Can, yeah, and I can 120% believe this dude would help commit murder just because some girl rejected him. So. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, that's a very important part of Satome's character. He tried asking Nagi Kirima out, and she was like, you, nah, fam. You, you don't want to date me. <laughs> You, you absolute, you, you absolute fool. moron. You just, you fool. You I just mean, don't go and ask Nagi Kiyama to go out with you. That's a fool's errand. Oh yeah, and I think his whole deal was that he thought he was too boring. Yeah. <laughs> that was a complete misunderstanding. Because when you actually listen to Nagi's side of it, and you hear the actual reason why she's just like, nah, fam, it's like, you're an idiot. <laughs> she's like, I'm not a good human being. Like, I'm not a good fit for you. <laughs> and then it's like, you're stupid, Sautame. <laughs> I love you, but you're stupid. Uh, but yeah, uh, basically every time this guy opened his mouth, I wanted to shove my fist in it, and Seaman Fu did a great job of making him sound perfectly punchable. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to punt him into the sun is what you're telling me right now. Yeah. Yay! Uh, I also really <laughs> I also really enjoyed Trina Nishimura as a manticore, as she gave her a very cold but sultry tone that helped in making the manticore sound not quite human, and the level of menace he was able to give off in her performance was uh, definitely a little bow-chilling. Uh, especially during the whole fight with Echoes where Trina gets to go a little nuts. And we see just how determining Manticore is to refer to its own identity over the original. Uh, but what really made Steven and Trina's performances stand out was just how well the two were able to play off of each other. So the chemistry between their acting really did a lot to sell these characters as the perfect evil couple, and uh, they were clearly pretty happy doing horrible things to others with each other. Uh, I will say though, I did feel almost slightly sorry for the Manticore since uh, you can tell the Manticore was really the sound to me, but the feeling wasn't quite mutual, so... Yeah, it's yeah. pretty <laughs> It's pretty one-sided. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but anyway, all three of these... But anyway, um, these performances were all pretty solid, and uh, Steven and Trina in particular were definitely standouts. Mm. Um, I have to agree on, on a lot of fronts. Um... I'm probably just going to add a couple quick brief things. For example, Skylar. I actually really like Skylar as Nalco. Um, even though the, the role itself is rather brief. Like, say, maybe like an episode, episode and a half, maybe two at most. Um, I think the standout part of the performance for me is just... She has a scene with Nagi, and she also has the scene with Echoes. Um, basically, they're all in the same sequence. Uh, she's telling the story about how she found Echoes. And I just love that she shows so much compassion and such a pure side to humanity. And I think that worked really well for um, Skylar and her performance. Uh, Echoes is also, again, very, very quiet. <laughs> And very, very soft-spoken, but it seems the most natural among the supernatural um, beings, if that makes sense. Natural-sounding. Um, Trina is just lovely. She's obsessive. She goes full carnal. She shows immense amounts of fear when she's threatened. It's fantastic. But motherfuckers, I'm actually here to talk about <laughs> Steve Fu Satome. <laughs> <laughs> Holy hell! All right, I'm at least a little bit more familiar with Stephen Fu and his voice work, his voice range. 
I have yet to see him play villain at this point, though. And this little edgelord shit that I want to punt into the sun at that? Holy hell. <laughs> um, God, what did I write? Oh, my exact words. Stephen Foo is evil incarnate. <laughs> Those are my exact words. Because um, he makes... He made Satomate into such a cold and calculating bastard and this little shit. And it's like, it's honestly really brilliant. And it shows a completely different side to uh, Steven's vocal range that I'm used to. Because I'm used to Genji. And, well, Auntie is a similar vein of character, kind of, except more edgelordy. <laughs> but... Uh, okay, don't be mean to Auntie. Auntie is a Auntie good boy. Is a good, <laughs> Auntie is a good boy, but he's also very, very edgelordy. <laughs> he is. He wants to defeat Gridman so fucking bad. Um, uh, that's probably why he's the anti-hero of the show. <laughs> anyway. Um, but Sautame is just straight up evil. Like, he doesn't give a shit about anything or anyone. He'll use anyone for his own means. And just to see, like, the progression and the growth of that, um, and then the the actual climax of the story, where he does finally show his true colors, and then he just... He fucking slits Nagi Kirima's throat with a box cutter. (laughs) Just, like, straight up, like, yep, done. (laughs) Like... And he just, he's just done. He's gone. Like, he enjoyed killing people. Like, actually, like, getting his hands dirty. He's, I, I just flat out love this performance, honestly. It's probably one of my favorites in the entire show. I won't lie. Um, and it, I won't lie. I think it actually might overtake Christmas Freeman, but that's probably because the Boogie Pop Phantom is very old. (laughs) And the dub didn't age very well, <laughs> so that's not a that's that's uh, uh, unfortunately an easy bar to surpass. To surpass. Yeah, I I mean I mean I love Christian Freeman, but he was he wasn't like the best back no, then. So. I love him too, <laughs> but no, not back then. Um, anybody else have anything to add about this story? Or uh, I, I'm deeply really. amused that this story is about the conflict between a character named after a Pink Floyd song and a character named after an Emerson Lake and Palmer song. Again, did I write these? These are creative decisions I would make. I'm very upset now. This is weird. Oh my god. Oh lord. Alright, before Amon gets even more upset, let's move on to our next set of characters. Um, so we're going to stray away from the actual storylines now. Um, we're going to talk about four really recurring characters that pop in throughout the course of the show. Um, three of which essentially pop in both at the during the first story and especially have major roles in the last story um and then there's one character who pops in a little bit in the first story and she actually has a larger role um during the second story i believe uh versus imaginator um but those characters are and originally i was actually considering keeping this one in particular on her own um because she in the light novel series is actually considered a major character um, but we have Kazuko Suema. Uh, she is a friend. She is a friend of Toka Miyashita's, um, who is very, very intelligent, very intuitive, um, and she's very much into criminal psychology, essentially. Like, 
the split personality disorders, like what makes a serial killer, that kind of stuff. She's into that shit. Uh, yeah, uh, basically, yeah, basically, we talked about how this show is filled with perpetuities. She is definitely not. She is definitely not. <laughs> um, but she's actually, I really like her. She's actually also another character that does pop up in the um, Boogie Pop Phantom series as well. Um, we have Keiji Takeda, who is uh, Toka Miyashita's boyfriend, actually. Um, his real presence is, is well, he, I think he has the least amount of presence among the four characters we're going to talk about in this section. Um, but he's the character that we are introduced to very early on in episode one. Um, and he also has a little bit of stuff to do during the King of Distortion storyline. Um, then we have Kei Niatoki. Uh, she is the student council president of their school. Uh, and she also gets her butt dragged into the, uh, Manticore incident. As well as the, uh, Moon Temple incident. <laughs> she gets kind of dragged into a lot of shit, basically. Uh, <laughs> she's this goody-goody two-shoes kind of girl, but she also has a crush on Toka's... Miyashita's boyfriend, um, but she ended up getting, but she was rejected by Takeda before Takeda went and started dating Miyashita. Uh, so she kind of has a little bit of, I guess, jealousy and maybe not necessarily resentment um, about it, but um, that's a key story element for her character. Uh, and then we have Shiro Tanaka. <laughs> this kid. Um... <laughs> <laughs> See, look here. I just watched the last episode before we start recording this. Holy hell. Um, it's always the ones you don't expect, isn't it? This kid. <laughs> so, Tanaka originally pops in during the first storyline. He's actually date. He actually was dating um, Naoko Kamikishiro, um, Skylar's character who we just talked about. And um, the part we forgot to mention about Naoko's character is she did. She got killed by the Manticore <laughs> on accident. Yeah, she died very early She died very on. early on. Um, yeah, and um, her boyfriend, Tanaka, kind of ends up grieving over her, in a sense. To the point where, uh, during the King of the Sorcian arc, the whole thing that we were going through, we find out in the last episode that Tanaka is the King of the Sorcian. <laughs> and he just awakened to these powers. <laughs> In this, in the, during this incident, oh sweet lord, <laughs> that came out of left field. But um, I guess the reasoning for it is sound. I don't fucking know. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I thought, I mean, I thought that was a pretty effective hoodwink. But it is a good hoodwink. <laughs> but like, the explanation of it, essentially, the explanation of him becoming the king of distortion, is he was awakened to these powers based on um this guilt that he felt over. Um, Naoko and how he actually felt and all this kind of stuff that he never got to really express. And so his, the powers of the King of Distortion got manifested. I don't know. It's strange. Anyway, the individuals who are voicing these characters, we as Suema, we have Natalie Hoomer, who has been characters such as Tomoyo Daido, Daidoju, Jesus Christ, uh, from Cardcaptor Sakura Clear Card. Sonia Nevermind from Daganrampa 3, uh, 3, The End of Hope's Peak Academy, uh, Despair, and Future Arcs. And Nana Sakurai from Princess Stride Alternative. As Keiji Takeda, we actually have one of our scriptwriters here. We have Matt Shipman, who has been characters such as Hiro from Darling in the Franks, Kazuya Kujo from Gosik, and Shay from Yu-Gi-Oh! Arc V. Uh, as Nitoki, we have Jill Harris, who has 
who has performed characters such as Noelle Silva from Black Clover, uh, Chiyo Yumehara from The Disastrous Life of Psyche K, and Mayaka Ibara, Inbara from Hyoka. I probably butchered the last name. And as Tanaka, we have Dallas Reed, who has been characters such as Zack from Angels of Death, Yukio Kondo from Honda-kun, and... Oh, wish me luck on this one. Yamato no Kami Yasusada from Token Ramu Hanamaru. If I did that right, Megan's going to be happy with me. Okay, well, that is not where I was expecting you to go. I was literally expecting you to scream at stuff. No. <laughs> no, no, no. I was like, wish yeah, me... Too obvious. Wish, too obvious, yes. I was like, wish me luck on this complicated fucking name. <laughs> um, anyway. Um, Lack, do you want to start us off with your thoughts on these performances? Um, yeah. Um, honestly, not that much to say. Um, I think they were all pretty strong across the board. Uh, I think the one, the two who stood out to me the most are probably Matt Shipman as Kenji and Jill Harris as Kay. Uh, I think they brought the most personality, but I, th I don't think it was really necessarily the actor's fault. I think it was more due to the, uh, characters. Because Shiro Tanaka doesn't really come into his own until later on. And, uh... Kazuko, you know, as, as capable a character as she is, she's not really at the forefront, at least for this anime, you know. Um, but, yeah, I think the, the performances are really strong. S see, the problem is it keeps coming back to me and how I feel about Boogie Pop and others. It just didn't introduce the characters that well for me. Mm -hmm. So they didn't necessarily stick with me all that well. Um, but at the same time, as they progressed and as we got further into the series, they did start to make uh, more of an impact. And, uh, yeah, um, I, I did like pretty much all of them. Um, as, as reflexive characters on the main characters, which we'll get to in a few mi minutes, um, I think they served their purpose really well. There's not really that much to say, um, because, you know, they're not as big players after Boogie Pop and others. At least not until, uh... You know, at least not until Overdrive. But I, I think they were pretty strong as they were. So. Okay. Anyone else want to add anything? Uh, sure, I have notes for a couple of these okay. people. Um, it, uh, so admittedly, I had trouble remembering Takeda's name for most of the show, since he's mostly kind of there only for episode one till like, the last arc. So I mostly just refer to him as Boyfriend Coon, since that was kind of his whole purpose. Boyfriend Coon, I love that. <laughs> Matt is Boyfriend Coon. Uh, so, uh, but anyway, I really liked I liked his whole dynamic with Boogie Pop in episode one. I thought, I thought that whole like little odd friendship they formed was kind of neat. That was an interesting dynamic, uh, yeah. Yeah, um, I also don't really have too many notes on Dallas Reed and Sonica, but I thought Dallas Reed did a pretty solid job. That's like, uh, def uh, definitely a uh, different tone of voice than some of uh, Dallas Reed's more noticeable work. This does not sound like Asta, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> no, Asta, he is not. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, so, uh, uh, well, he didn't really leave uh, too much of an impression on me in the first arc. Uh, he definitely did during the King of the Swords arc. To the point where I honestly forgot he was introduced in the first arc. <laughs> but, uh, okay, uh, but I definitely, uh, so, uh, 
uh, I definitely liked a lot of his interactions with Eric Vale. I thought, I like, I, uh, I thought their whole like little odd friendship was kind of interesting, and uh, it definitely did a good job to play to the whole hoodwink thing we mentioned earlier regarding him actually being the king of the source, and I thought that whole twist was handled very well, while still making a fair degree of sense. Well, you know, so long as you don't think about the powers too hard. <laughs> yeah, just just uh, don't but, try uh, to put logic into it that much. Just don't. Yeah, uh, but okay, uh, but when we he is revealed as the king of distortion, I like the thousands of delivery during his whole spiel about how he regrets things with Naoko and like whether or not he truly liked her and and I liked his whole thing of uh, how he came to terms with grief and especially his whole like little interactive with Boogie Pop where. Okay, okay, where he's, like, totally confident at... Okay, where he's totally confident that he would be one of Boogie Pop's enemies, but Boogie Pop is like, Nah, you haven't really done anything all that wrong. Like, okay, I mean, it's like, he, like you weren't the one who, like... Like, you weren't the one who trapped all these people in the building. Like, sure, you may have given them a few weird nightmares, but... Uh, you're helping them, I guess, so I won't do anything to you. <laughs> it's like, eh, but, yeah, I thought that whole... Uh, thing which pretty much is saying and uh, yeah that was a pretty fun performance uh, as for uh, Suima as we said before uh, she is basically here as a resident non-shooty and Natalie's performance basically reflects that as he plays Suima with a tone that sounds very bookish and reserved without you know going into a stereotypical nerd and uh, while she never gets to bounce off of some of the more uh, eccentric personalities in this show since uh I noticed Suima never ever actually di directly confronts any of the supernatural stuff. Like, it always happens when she's not around. <laughs> uh, I do appreciate that her delivery is consistent in making Suima sound like the most normal person in the show. Uh, I mean, to be honest, Suima as a character didn't stand out to be a whole lot, but I think my favorite scene with her was definitely during the Imaginator arc where she's, uh, talking with Aya about a lot of her, like, self-loathing and stuff, and I really dug her delivery when she tells Aya that, you know, in the end, it's pretty much impossible to go throughout life without being hated, hated by somebody, and, uh, again, this show has a lot of, like, various messages, and I appreciated that that one was pretty blunt, and I liked uh, Natalie's delivery with that. I do wish the character had a little bit more to do, but on the whole, I thought Natalie did a good job. Um, uh, and then lastly for KD Tookie, uh, with all the supernatural shenanigans going on, we do need something of an emotional anchor to balance things out, and I guess Hidoki is the closest thing we have to that per to that kind of role. Well, her and boyfriend Kuhn, I guess, but uh, boyfriend Kuhn is a little more cutie. <laughs> boyfriend Kuhn. <laughs> I'm sorry. Matt Shipman is officially now boyfriend Kuhn. Uh, anyway, Joel plays Hidoki as being fairly down to earth and normal, and while she doesn't count mouth as a Quite as grounded as the story about, he definitely helps give the impression that Nidoki is a more typical teen than a lot of the other crazy characters in this show. Uh, but unlike Soima, Nidoki actually does run into a lot of the supernatural weird stuff. And uh, she even gets to have her own little fun dynamic with Boogie Pop. And uh, while Nidoki didn't stand out to be much of the first arc, aside from her whole deal with Avoid Itoka, because, you know, uh, romance, I guess. Uh, she did get a lot more to do during the King of the Sorcerer arc, and that's where Jill's performance really shined for me. Uh, during that whole arc, Nidoki has to literally come face-to-face -face with her feelings about being rejected. Uh, the face-to-face -face being Satome for whatever reason. 
And uh, Jill does a really excellent job of portraying her sense of confusion, denial, and ultimately acceptance as Anita kind of comes to terms with her feelings and uh, ultimately walks away from the arc a little bit healthier, I guess. And uh, while, like Natalie Hoover, Jill doesn't get to say that too, too much of the cast filled with very eccentric personalities, uh, she does carry Nituki as one of the more emotional-sounding characters in this show, and I appreciate what she added. Okay, awesome. Um, yeah, I can I can definitely agree on all fronts on all of these characters. Um, I don't even know where my notes are half anymore right now. Um, I actually don't have any notes for Matt now that I think about it. <laughs> Um, probably because out of these four, I think kind of like what I said earlier, out of these four, Takeda doesn't exactly do a lot. He just pops in a bit and is the boyfriend, <laughs> hence boyfriend-kun. Um, but he's an interesting, like, support system for, I should probably say specifically Boogie Pop. Um, because he doesn't actually really talk to Miyashita about Boogie Pop at all. And the fact that he knows about her, uh, them, him, her it i don't know um so it's it's a and it is a very interesting dynamic his interactions with boogie pop as well um to the point where apparently in the end after boogie pop goes away he just pops into this other world for like five seconds to say hi which was weird um but yeah i i do like matt he's very grounded he's grounded in reality but he is accepting of possibility which is basically what Boogie Pop is, is a possibility. Um, and I enjoy the performance a lot. Natalie is also a lot of fun, too. I love her. She's adorable as this n little bookworm, nerdy kind of girl who's into the psychology of serial killers and slow personalities and stuff. God, yawning. Um, I, I, I also wish that Natalie had a little bit more to do as well she does play an interesting role during the imaginator arc as this she plays she's kind of like one of the secondary characters in that arc as well um she's very soft-spoken she can be shy at times because probably because she's into weird interests like the psychology of serial killers and stuff and people go to her like it's it's expressed very early on like hey soima if there was a, if there was someone who would be a kidnapper in our class, who would it be? Like, what would make this up? And then she would explain, it and it's like, and these girls are like, oh, that's Nagi Kirima, <laughs> and they basically point at her. It's very interesting. Um, Jill is Nitoki. I I like her as well. Uh, she is this bright, cheerful, good goody two shoes girl who can't do no wrong. But there is, again, there is more to her, um, like like you guys have been saying so far, with her um, jealousy and her rejection that she has to kind of overcome. Um, and, the, and Jill, I think, portrays that very well, especially during the um, King of Distortion arc. I still cannot believe that Tanaka is the King of Distortion. <laughs> My brain is still in what-the-fuck mode on that one. Because, uh... Huh. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, no, I mean, I figured it couldn't be Waycamp because they were making that too obvious, but... Yeah. Huh. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> huh. Uh, Dallas is an interesting one, too. He only... He first originally start, uh, appears, Tanaka, uh, in the final episode 
during the um, Boogie Pop and Others storyline. Um, so he doesn't, he didn't really get that much of an introduction. Um, he's there, he practices Kudo, he shoots the manticore in the head and kills it basically and saves the day. Um, but he can't save his girlfriend and then he gets very emotional and guilty about it and then all of a sudden, poof, I have powers. Herp derp. Um, he definitely had a lot more to do during the, um, King of Distortion arc for sure. Um, and the parts where he had to play Tanaka as this really kind-hearted, compassionate person and then you have the King of Distortion who's just... Uh, who is similar to the synthetic humans that we've been discussing. He's very subdued, almost emotionless to a point. Um, and it's a very interesting flip and portrayal of a character um, that we didn't exactly expect to happen. So I really did enjoy Dallas's performance uh, for Tanaka. Uh, Amon, did you have anything to add? Not particularly. Like I, I, I liked a lot of these performances. I thought they were strong and for what you know, good for what the characters needed. Like, yeah. Okay. These are good. Awesome. So I guess that means we can move on. We have two more characters left to go. We're gonna talk about them individually though. Um, let's talk about Nagi Kirima. Uh, she is a badass. That's all the explanation you need, really. Um I mean, um let's is there is there a, is there a pre-op sequence in the first episode because if there isn't we're literally introduced to her like running along the side of a building yep trying to attack like a flying uh we don't know what it is creature yeah we can't say it's boogie pop because tokamiyasha is on the ground watching everything it's very weird um but yeah nagi kirima she is in high school she's a badass she investigates like supernatural shenanigans and things on her own nine times out of ten and gets her into lots of trouble um and she's actually i guess she's like an evolved human being as well considering the boogie pop at dawn incident um oh no i think it was specifically mentioned that she originally was going to be an evolved being but i think the drug cured her so apparently she's normal now something like that i don't remember yeah Anyway, <laughs> the individual voices Miss Nagi Kirima is one Miss Morgan Garrett. She has voiced characters such as Sophie from Gosik. I'm gonna uh, autocorrect. I'm gonna pronounce autocorrect again. Did Kurosawa from Love Life Sunshine? Did <laughs> instead of Daya. And uh, Saki Sato from Interviews with Monster Girls. Um, Aman, I'm gonna start with you. How do you feel about the performance here? This is great. <laughs> Nagi, Nagi's such a fun, unexpected character, in part because, like, so much of Boogie Pop is very, like, thinky and cerebral. And then occasionally it'll just, like, turn to an action movie for, like, 15 seconds. And Nagi tends to be involved in a lot of those scenes. Um, so she's a fun character, and I think Morgan just does a wonderful job with her of selling her as, like, someone who's, like... It, like cool and reserved but not like alien and muted in the way that you see in like the synthetic humans like she still very much comes off as like a normal person who has who you know has seen some weird things and is now doing some weird things as a consequence of that but also like tells her 
half brother, adopted brother. What's what's um? Uh, half brother, I believe. Half brother, like tells her half brother. It's like, where, where have you been doing out so late? Exactly. Why aren't you home on time? You need your sleep. Like very, very like you know, older sister kind of stuff. Um, it's just and there's a nice balance in there where she, they nail the more sort of baroque parts of her character where she's running around in this leather outfit fighting people. But also the more like, you know, she is just kind of a teenager with like teenager interests and relationships and she knows people and she has friends uh, and she hassles her brother. Um, it's just a, it's almost hard to articulate, like it's just such a nice strong performance. I think in part because as much as Nagi shows up, I don't think she, like, even like even the arc that's mostly about her isn't really told from her viewpoint at any point. Right. Um but I, I think I think Morgan like gives a really strong performance because even though you don't get that like bird's eye view of her life at any point, I think you still get a very strong sense of who she is and what her character is like. And I think Morgan helps that a lot in terms of her performance. Okay. Uh, does anyone want to add anything? Uh, sure. Okay. Um, so I'll prephrase what I'm going to say by saying, "Well, I sure love Morgan Garrett as anime girl Batman." <laughs> oh my don't, god. Don't. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. Yeah. She's the huntress, clearly. Um, okay, okay, no, okay, no. You might think I'm joking, but seriously, she's a vigilating crime fighter because her dad got murdered and she doesn't know who did it, and she even inherited a fortune from said dead dad to help fund her activities. So yeah, basically, anime. Oh girl my god, she actually is. <laughs> Shit. Like literally, all she needs is a cape and a Batmobile. She's good to go. <laughs> Doesn't she have a? Didn't she have a motorcycle? No, she has, doesn't have a motorcycle, does she? Yeah, she does. She has a motorcycle. <laughs> Masaki borrows it at one point. That's and she says, "I'm sorry, sis. I have to borrow your bike." Uh, oh, yeah, she did have a motorcycle. Uh, but uh, anyway, jokes aside, Naki is probably my favorite character in this ensemble, and she's just honestly really cool. Uh, when we first meet Naki, she's kind of an enigma, and that's. Uh, reflecting pretty well in Morgan's performance, actually carries Donkey with a sense of cool confidence that makes it seem like this girl has been around the block a few times and she has a pretty good handle on all the weirdness she encounters. Of course, we eventually learn the reasons why in the movie Papa Don arc where we see her in her earlier days. Oh, well, there isn't too much of a total distinction between pre Vizuete Donkey and post Vizuete Donkey. Uh, she does sound a little more vulnerable when we see her in the hospital when we learn that she was eventually suffering from an incurable disease. And uh, her moments with Michael Tatum is, uh, in particular were uh, definitely very interesting. We got to see her emote a little bit more and we saw uh, maybe a slightly softer side of the character and she gets a little bit more curious about him and he eventually kind of, you know, feels gratitude for the role he played in helping to save her. And uh, I thought Morgan handled all of that very well. And it makes the point where Naki eventually does start fighting crime feel a little more awesome, and I really like that whole fight with Dr. Kisugi. Uh, it's a shame Naki wasn't around for the final arc of the show, but that one was pretty crammed, and I guess he wouldn't have really fit there. Uh, but anyway, I really enjoyed Morgan's performance here, and he definitely completely helped us sell me on the idea of Naki as the ultimate shooting crime fighter. And, uh, this was definitely my personal stand-up for the whole dub, honestly. Okay. Um, I mean, we do get an appearance from Nagi in the last arc. Wait, was she in the last arc? She was, because oh, she was, oh, um, Eric Vale's distortion. Uh, 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 oh, yeah, she was Eric Vale's distortion, my bad. She's there for, like, a millisecond, and it's very subdued, but... 
either way. Uh, Lack, do you want to add anything? Uh, I just really like your character. I think she was my favorite character in the whole series, but I think that was intentional. I think Morgan <laughs> Garrett did a great job. Um, she brought a lot of personality. There, there was a lot of, there was a lot of just like multi-layeredness over the, you know, under the surface of her character, and I think Garrett brought a lot to that. So that's pretty much what I have to say. Yeah, I really liked her as um, Nagi as well. Um, Nagi knows exactly what she wants. She's she's gonna she's pretty devious. She knows what she wants and she knows how she's gonna handle it. She she can take care of herself. She's a big girl and I love it. Uh, Monica's really not Monica. Wow, wrong M name. Morgan. I need to go to bed too. <laughs> Morgan Garrett. She's actually real. I I really like when she portrays strong-willed characters like this. And um, Akira Model is another. Um, good example from Tokyo Ghoul as well, who plays very strong-willed, independent, take-charge kind of female characters. Um, and Nagi Kinema is no different. She's just a straight-up badass. Um, and I really like it. It's definitely one of my favorites of performances of the show itself. Fun fact, you want to know who voices uh, Nagi Kinema in Boogie Pop Phantom? Ooh. Yeah. Rachel Lillis. Oh. I was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, Rachel Wells was in that show. I forgot who she was Yep, in the she's show. Nagi. Surprise. Surprise. Oh, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, definitely interesting. Surprise, <laughs> Jesse and Misty is Nagi Kirima. There we go. Utena is fucking Nagi Kirima. Huh. This dub is interesting. <laughs> um... If anybody has anything else, does anyone have anything else to add about um, Morgan, or do we want to move on to our final character? Not me. Uh, I think I'm pretty good. Okay. Let's move on to our final character of the evening. We have uh, the titular character herself, or themselves, or himself. Uh, so we have Toka Miyashita, who is a high school student, um, living her normal life. Uh, has a boyfriend, goes to school, all this fun stuff, uh, except for the fact that she has this otherworldly being named Boogie Pop <laughs> as well, or a split personality, or something, or Chibio disease. I don't fucking know. Nobody fucking knows. Um, so Toka has this alternate personality, Boogie Pop, um, who is this, um, vigilante as well, um, who only appears when they sense a threat of some kind that needs to be taken down. And um, Boogie Pop is not af not afraid of killing people to make sure it gets done. Boogie Pop is not afraid of like hurting people or straight up being a pain in the ass or being mean. Boogie Pop doesn't give a shit. <laughs> Boogie Pop gives no fucks. Um, which is very interesting of a character. Um to have so the the individual who is voicing Tokamiashita slash Boogie Pop, um, it's actually a name I don't think we've really talked about lately. Uh, Michelle Rojas, I miss Michelle Rojas and talking about her actually. Um, you've probably heard her as a variety of characters such as Shima Nishina from Kiss Him Not Me, Koyagami from New Game, and Kazuko Hoshikawa from Surrey Dory Children. Uh, hmm. You know what? I'm just going to let it be a free-for-all. Who wants to start us off with their thoughts on uh, Michelle Rojas? 
I guess I'll go. Okay. Um, uh, so while I've heard Michelle Rojas and other things, it was usually more on the lines of uh, side characters and whatnot. It sounded like maybe uh, Sorry Dirty Children, New Game, and uh, Day to Live, which was a show, I guess. <laughs> it's a um, thing that exists. <laughs> Uh, uh, anyway, this was my first time really seeing her in this kind of role, and I really dug it. Uh, I'll be honest in saying I found her a little awkward as regular-sounding Toka for, like, the first couple of episodes. Good, I'm not the only and, one. Uh, yeah, and, uh, while her voice sounded, like, maybe enough like a normal teen that didn't have too much trouble back into the character, it didn't come off as very distinctive. I'm, I'm sorry, you were saying something, Steph? No, I said good, I'm not the only one who thinks that Toka Miyash is a little off-putting at first. Yeah. Uh, but as Boogie Pop, though, I thought she was fantastic, and I really liked the almost otherworldly sense of serenity that she constantly gives off in her performance. Uh, I will say that having listened to the Japanese version, her voice sounds a little more feminine than, Aoi, than Aoiyuki's did, and uh, that was a little disappointing since uh, Boogie Pop is apparently supposed to be male, I guess, I don't know, but I mean, it's... I mean, it, but anyway, Michelle sounds aggressive enough to do the job, and her acting more than enough, more than makes up for it, so I guess it works out. Uh, her voice kind of reminds me of a telephone operator in a way, which uh, definitely helps to sell the idea that whatever Boogie Pop is, uh, Boogie Pop is not human, and that tone really helps to feed into all of Boogie Pop's interactions with the other characters. As it only feels like Boogie Pop is operating at another level of comprehension that no one else ever quite gets. And uh, I definitely like whenever we see Boogie Pop kind of drop, you know, the occasional little interesting nuggets of wisdom that help to tie into uh, whatever the theme of any given arc is. Uh, but at the same time, though, Michelle's performance never dips into sounding like totally monotone. And which is good because while Boogie Pop may not claim to have much agency, it's clear that Boogie Pop has at least some kind of emotion. I definitely liked uh, Boogie Pop's little scene towards the end of the Overdrive arc with Nidoki where uh, Boogie Pop kind of admits that they're a little jealous of boyfriend Coon and kind of kind of envies Toka a little bit for getting them to spend more time with him. Uh, I don't know if that ever becomes a bigger deal later on in the novel or not, but I thought that whole dynamic was kind of interesting. Uh, at any rate, I thought Michelle did a really fantastic job with the role, and while it's not, like, totally perfect, it was definitely one of the strongest performances here, and it really helped to elevate my opinion of the dub overall, so, great job. Yeah, I have to agree on a lot of points that you said, Jet, um, because the difficult task that Michelle had to go, Michelle had, is playing essentially two different characters. Like, because again, the whole split personality argument comes into play here. Um, as Toka, I also am in agreement that it was a little rough in the first couple episodes. Because I think, I don't know if, whether or not it was, she was trying too hard to keep Toka and Boogie Pop as separate entities. With the vocal tone and the vocal range that it just came a little bit off-putting as Toka. Um, or if they were just trying to figure out and find the footing for the Toka side of the character. Um, I'm gonna, I would, I'm inclined to think the latter of the two, where they're trying to figure out what they wanted, what they wanted it to sound like. Um, but I think after of the first couple of episodes and that little rough hurdle, um, we start seeing a more natural sounding, um, character out of Michelle when it comes to the Toka side of the, of it. Um, 
but obviously, considering the majority of the time we get of Michelle is as Boogie Pop, I'm here to talk about fucking Boogie Pop. <laughs> this is how this game works, ladies and gentlemen. Um, she is very subtle and subdued as Boogie Pop. And while I actually didn't watch the Japanese, well, no, I watched the first few episodes of the Japanese, actually, um, when I was making possible predictions for this show. And um, I could not tell, no, what's the right way of putting this? So I, I could also tell the direction that the Japanese was going with, making this sound a little bit more on the male perspective of the voice. Um, but Michelle's take on it too because uh, what's the right way of putting this I'm losing it my brain is dying um Michelle's take on the character while it is mentioned that it seems to be a male type of character I think it's I think having it more of an androgynous, ambiguous kind of voice and tone to it, I think it actually works a lot better for the character's benefit, in my opinion. Um, but at the end of the day, I think Michelle, I really love Michelle's performance um, as these two characters. Um, it's been a hot minute since I really got to talk about Michelle. Um, I've, I've missed talking about Michelle. Um, but yeah, like her boogie pop i i got into the boogie pop instantly the second i saw it um toka took a little bit longer but i think it's more because they were trying to find the right footing that they wanted and what they wanted to do with the voice on this one but um yeah she's definitely one of my favorite performances of the entire show and i think it considering it's a very ominous and ambiguous character that has a huge role in the show um it makes a lot of sense and you have to have a very strong performance in order to carry that through and I think Michelle really does that um I'm on lack did you want to add anything this is a good performance I agree um I I think you know I think I think as you're saying Michelle like has to play these two very disparate characters I think she does a really good job with that I like a lot what she does with Boogie Pop who I think seems very um like calm and cerebral but with a I don't know if I'd say humanity, but there there is like she she never comes off as like kind of like ethereal or alien as um, she could be. She always she always has this grounding to her where you at least understand you at least buy it's like when she's talking about it, like she's there to like get rid of threats to like the world or humanity or whatever. It's like that never feels like a front. It's like no no that that is that is what you're doing. There's no there's no con here. Um, I was just a really, I, just, I thought it was just a really strong performance on the whole. Um, I'm really well done. I liked, I, 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 I liked the way that she played Boogie Pop. I thought that worked very well for, but it felt like the character was going for, where it's, it, like, the character kind of feels like they don't even pay attention to what, like, you know, what kind of, like, gender pronouns are being used or whatever, because, like, that's not their interest. So it's just like, I'm in this person and I'm going to use their voice because that's what I have. Um... It was just a nice performance. I enjoyed it a lot. It's good. Lack, how about you? Do you want to add anything else? Lack. Sorry, thought I unmuted myself. <laughs> no. <laughs> good yeah. job, but no, you didn't. <laughs> well, what I was saying was I kind of mirror a lot of your guys' thoughts. Um, yeah, I think uh, her boogie pop performance was a little bit stronger. Um, I think she really played like the ambiguity of the character really well 
Um, Toka, we didn't really see as much, so I don't think she got to play with the character so much. Uh, the most I remember Toka was in Boogie Pop at Dawn when she's like in the in, when she's being analyzed by uh, Kisugi. Um, that's the best I remember of, of seeing Toka so much. Um, but I thought as Boogie Pop, I think she did a fantastic job. I think she brought the mystery of the character that was needed. And, yeah. Yeah. Thumbs up. Okay. Alright. Are there any more thoughts about Toka slash Boogie Pop before we... Or do we want to move on to final thoughts? Uh, cool. We got him. Mm-hmm. Think. I think we pretty much covered it, huh, then? All right, so we'll move on to final thoughts. So I'm going to start <coughs> as I die. Uh, I'm going to start with Lack. What are your final thoughts on the English dub of Boogie Pop and others? Um, As I said at the beginning of the episode, um, I, I think... I, I guess my major problem is just that the fact that some of these teenagers sound like you know, are talking like full-grown adults, and sometimes that can kind of bug me. Um, but at the same time, I get that that was more a, a, a that was more a thing of the Japanese that you know the English sub was just trying to mimic. And I understand that considering dialogue and characterization, it's kind of important to have the characters like that. Um, but aside from that minor complaint and the fact that I wasn't a huge fan of watching this. I do think the English dub did a great job. I think everybody was cast really well. And I think the performances were really strong, or at least as strong as they could be. So. Yeah, you definitely would have a much more confusing and hard time with Boogie Pop Phantom. I'll just throw it out there right now. <laughs> I'm you definitely sure. would. Yeah, you definitely would. If you thought you were very, if you thought it wasn't, you, you had a hard time getting into this one. Oh, sweet lord. Um, uh, Jet, what are your final thoughts on Boogie Pop and others? Okay, um, so Boogie Pop is a strange, strange show, but I ended up really digging it. Uh, while it does take a little bit of patience to unpath some of its puzzle box mysteries, um, they're definitely pretty fun puzzles to solve, and the show ended up having a little bit more to say than I thought it would, so I had some fun with it. Uh, as for the dub, I thought Mike McFarland did a really great job of bringing together a distinctive ensemble of actors for the series. And again, while some members of this ensemble are a little better than others, on the whole, I thought it came together to form a pretty solid experience. And I'd say that out of Funimation's Winter Simul Dogs, this one was probably my personal favorite. So, yeah, definitely give it a chance if you haven't already. Okay. Amon, how about you? Yeah, I really enjoyed this dub. I think this is a really fun, interesting show. Um, how do I put this? I just it it was it wasn't quite what I was ex not even what I was expecting. I just I I consistently enjoyed it. It felt like it was always firing on all cylinders. Um, I thought it did a good job of having like depth and weight without getting too like faux philosophical. It, like I think as we pointed out, this is this is kind of the ground zero for a lot of like the chuniness you see in a lot of like anime and light novels. And I thought this as much as it is kind of like. The origin of that, I think it usually evolves falling falling into that pitfall in its own right, possibly because it's not trying to be super fancy pantsy. It was just like, hey, here's an interesting idea. Let's let's run with that. Um, I think the dub for it's also really strong. Like I, I'm trying to remember what else I watched in the winter season, but I think having seen this now, this might also be one of my, at the very least, in my like top picks for like um, dubs of that season, if not my favorite. Like this is really strong on all fronts, and I really enjoyed it. Also, the music's great. <laughs> 
music is fantastic. It's real. I think. It's, oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it actually oh yeah. Is. Like the opening. Oh yeah, like the opening is definitely like my favorite. Opening oh, the opening yeah, the op- is opening. amazing. Uh, uh, Myth and Roid. Myth and Roid is fantastic. Uh, there was not an episode I watched where I skipped the ending or the opening. They were just and the score is also really good. I was listening to a little bit of it work earlier this week in preparation for this episode. And just mm, good stuff. Yeah, I'm actually trying to see what are the chances that the music is done by the same person. Because a lot of the music comp- composition is exactly the same. Hinako Minora? Uh, maybe not. Um, damn. Because I think like a lot of the, um, the music, the soundtrack is, I know it's been a hot minute since I watched Boogie Pop Phantom, but I think it's the same as the original. Hmm. Just maybe just a, smidge more modernized i'd have to actually co- listen to both soundtracks and compare the two but i th- i think i recognize a couple of tracks that are actually really really similar hmm. um so it's very interesting that they really kind of stuck true to that as well thank you madhouse who made both of these shows <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys um but yeah my final thoughts on the show it's a very very solid solid dub for sure um the show it's I, th- I like the show too. It's very interesting kind of just going back and revisiting Boogie Pop in general. Because um, I watched Boogie Pop Phantom five, six years ago now. Uh, and I own the show too. So I've been wanting to revisit it. And this is an interesting way to do so. Um, the dub is really strong. It sounds... It sounds as natural as it's gonna be given the material. <laughs> Again, this is like nine, like late 90s written stuff. Um, so it's not gonna be that that modern, um, but the dub doesn't take too many risks or liberties, which I can really appreciate because the second you start fiddling with it, it's gonna possibly fall flat on its face. You'd be taking a huge risk. Um, I really love the casting choices in this. They got a lot of strong performances from a majority of it from new or underutilized actors, really. Because um, I think this is the first time I'm seeing like Chris Ramirez working with Mike McFarland, um, Michelle Rojas really working with Mike McFarland, um, probably Matt Shipman as well to an extent. Um, so it's very interesting seeing these individuals pop up uh, in the in this show and many many more. Um, but yeah, this is definitely it's definitely one of the stronger dubs for me as well from the winter season. I think second for me for though, because I really, really loved My Room is a Cat. My Room is a Cat, I think, is my favorite from the winter season, honestly. Um, but this is a really, really strong and solid one as well. Uh, if you are interested in seeing the English dub for Boogie Pop and others, you can do so through Funimation now. Um, they are streaming, I believe they have both the Japanese and the English, I believe. I or does Crunchyroll have the Japanese? No, no, no the, Jap- the Japanese. I think Crunchyroll had the Japanese. I think. No, I think Crunchyroll had the Japanese and Funimation had the dub. I think that. Yeah, I did, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was one of the ones they ended up splitting. So. Yeah, it's it's gotten very weird since the partnership ended. Um, it's gotten awkward don't for you, now. Don't you love it? Don't you love when contractual agreements last longer than the contract? Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can watch the English stuff for Boogie Pop and others on Funimation now. Um, 
they have a monthly subscription service that you can sign up for if you are interested. Uh, the 14-day free trial where you can try out for their, their services. Uh, but please note, as usual, if you do do the free trial, um, they will ask for credit card information. And if you do not wish to keep the trial, um, you will need to cancel the subscription. If it is, in fact, true, if it is, in fact, true that Crunchyroll has the Japanese, you can watch the Japanese. Um, and they have a premium subscription service as well. However, in the case of Boogie Pop, and others, uh, you're not required to have it in order to watch the entire show. Uh, if you are interested in seeing Boogie Pop Phantom, the original series from 2000, um, it is actually licensed by Right Stuff uh, International or Nozomi Entertainment, uh, and they have that series on DVD. I don't believe it is currently streaming anywhere. Um, but you can get the deep. You can, I mean, you can, I mean, you can get it for pretty. Yeah, cheap. you can get it for pretty cheap. It's usually about like 10, 15 bucks. It's not hard to get. Yeah, and it's one of the, um, like, four episodes a disc kind of thing. There's four DVD sets. Um, I should know, because I have the damn thing. Uh... <laughs> It is on my shelf. I'm staring at it now. Uh, if you're interested in catching anything else that we at the Dub Talk podcast do, the best place to do so is obviously you're here watching this episode now. So why don't you subscribe while you're over here? Um, you can also follow us on various social medias, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, um, all at Dub Talk Podcast. And everybody should plug themselves. Three, two, one, go. Uh, I'm Jet. You can find me on Twitter at Videga or Jet Zero Infinity, where I will usually be talking about anime or cartoons or what have you. And uh, you can also occasionally find me on my blog, Animes at Infinity, where I will sometimes write things. Next. Well, you can find me on Twitter at LactaWatcher. Uh, usually, I, I've got. What am I doing right now? Um, back to video making, um, I also helped work on a video game, uh, during a game jam a couple months back. Oh, uh, nice! The programmers are still working on it right now, I helped with the script, um, but it's an Atome game, it's a sci-fi Atome game, um, and it should be coming out within the next couple months, uh, yeah, that's basically what I'm up to right now. Fancy. So. You do, you do all the fun stuff, man. <laughs> God, I'm jelly. Uh, Almond, how about you? Uh, my, 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 my thing for this episode is going to be a little involved. Do you want to go first? Oh, God. It's a Dusty Old song, isn't it? Oh, you it? bet. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. I'll go first. Uh, my name is Stephanie. I'm also known as Lilac. You can follow me on Twitter at Lilac Anime Review with review being spelled R-E-V-U-E. I also have a blog, Life and Time, otaku.blogs, not blogs, but WordPress, excuse me, .com, which I need to update, where I just talk about wherever I... Whatever I freaking feel like, basically, just a mishmash of things. Um, Amon, now you can go. Sure. Uh, <laughs> and I, give us a dusty song while you're at it. Oh, you bet. Uh, I'm, I'm Amon. You can find me on Twitter at AmonDuelUS. Duel has two U's in it. Uh, I talk about music and movies and comic books and that kind of thing. And uh, so periodically, I will give you a dusty old song, which I like to do in these episodes. But I thought this is this is a this is a a, a, a celebration of a seminal, seminal series from the late '90s. Of a certain kind of style and attitude, and is adapting five books of that series. So I thought, hey, why not? Why not? Not just five songs. Let's give you five albums from from that time period when these books oh, were coming out. Sweet lord! Don't worry, it's going to be quick. It's just going to be artists and titles. But if you enjoy the series and you're you're the sort of person who likes this kind of stuff, you might enjoy Mezzanine by Massive Attack. Uh, if you ever seen the show House, the theme song to that is a Massive Attack song from this album. 
So, I'll give you an idea of what you're in for. You might also enjoy Music Has the Right to Children by Boards of Canada. Uh, Permutation by Amon Tobin. Uh, Stupid Dream by Porcupine Tree. And, uh, alright, let's try this. Uh-oh. Aetis Virgin by Sigiros. The fuck is that? They're from Iceland. <laughs> that's Icelandic. Ah, uh, yes. Actually, no, that's a made-up language they made up. Sorry. Oh. So I really All don't right. know how to pronounce it. But yeah, I'm done. Okay. Um, I think that's it for us at this point tonight. So thank you guys so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Um, and until next time, I guess, otaku on, my friends. Bye, everybody. Good night. Good night, nerds. 